0: Ladies and gentlemen, you already know what it is. It's Chase and Josh of Factor Fantasy, here to bring you part six of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. That's Chase, I'm Josh, and we're going to give it to you straight because last week we covered some heavy, heavy impactful moments from the uh, Professor Chilani finding Malfoy in the of requirement before we knew who it was, going into the cave that Chase took you in through with all the Inferi, and the uh, drink of despair that I talked about, in the interesting fact going into the lightning struck tower where our fallen hero uh, kind of got blasted off the ramparts. Man, <laughs> Snape just hit him with that Avada yeah. Cadaver curse, heavy, and he went flying off the back of that. He said he was like, like hung in the air like a ragdoll for a second, and just tumbled down. So uh, we are now at that point in time where we're without our strongest player. Uh, you know, if this is kind of like... Uh, When Tom Brady went down in 2008 with his, uh, when that defensive tackle took his leg out and the Patriots had to play with a backup quarterback. So we're kind of hamstrung now because as we talked about last week, the Order of the Phoenix really hasn't been doing a whole lot of good, (laughs) even with Dumbledore there. Now, Dumbledore is out of the picture. It's only going to be all bad from here. So we're excited to kind of take you through the last three chapters of this book, that being Chapter 28, Chapter 29, and Chapter 30 Uh, So we're gonna go ahead and and jump into that in just a second Uh, before I do that though I'll go ahead and let chase kind of say his piece I know we went over uh, last week a little bit about our visuals that you see on screen not much has really changed in in That uh, aspect, but chase has released since a new interesting facts episode So I'll let him kind of give a big broad overview of you know Just little tiny things that that entails you guys can go check that out if you haven't already seen it or listened to it on Wednesday, so Chase, go ahead and take it away, and then uh, we'll get started after that, my man.
1: Yeah. By the way, like you said, it was it was like he was an astronaut. You know, three, two, one, Severus, Severus, blast off. It was <laughs> it was sad, man. It was sad. Raise my wand in the air to the fallen. Uh, this is the gospel of the fallen ones. Anyways but yeah or as t-pain says i'll oh, take your ass to church <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyways but uh yeah uh interesting facts wednesday was awesome we talked to uh, what we did was we ranked kind of the bottom from the top the fire spells so um you had a basic fire spell for uh you know six and then number five we had the bluebell flames. And then it kind of went up from there, and Firestorm actually is ranked number two out of all of Harry Potter, and the top was Protega Diabolica, which we talked about before, which actually has only been conjured uh, a couple of times, one being Geller Grindelwald, put it around the flames, and Fantastic Beasts, but really short, interesting facts episode last week, actually, but just kind of uh, cool to do some rankings. We only brought that up because uh, it was cool seeing Dumbledore you know in his last hurrah there really trying to go out with a spark <laughs> you get the get the pun there oh <laughs> you're so punny. yeah <laughs> yeah but um with that man yeah it's uh i'll we'll get a malice in the chalice before we get going can you believe today we will finish out the empire strikes back of harry potter harry potter and the half-blood prince we are finishing the book today And then, my friend, it is what everyone has been waited for. It is not over yet, and we are still on this ride or die. What do you say to that, man?
0: I say I just want to add a quick addendum there that the, we're not finished completely today. We're going to be talking about the differences episode next week. Mm-hmm. So we got that little piece. You'll still get a little bit of half-blood after this. But in terms of the contents of what happens in the story, yes, that all goes down today. Next week, you hear Chase and I take on the movie versus the film rendition and what we liked and disliked. And then from there, yes, we are entering the fourth quarter baby in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So... Uh, And to your point, thank you for mentioning rankings, even though you're talking about interesting facts, because today you guys will hear our top five magical creature rankings that can be found in Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince. So, as you said, cheers, brother. Malice and the Chalice. We're going to get started on Chapter 28, The Flight of the Prince.
1: Malice and the Chalice, man, and uh, off to the pit of misery with you, you know, Albus, uh, he he got he he got knocked into a pit there like that was uh they even described him remember as like a ragdoll kind of falling almost into the dark mark i don't know if it gets any worse than that that was brutal but (laughs) um here here we go the ride continues man uh the ride continues
0: i love it cheers awesome yeah so let's go ahead and get rolling with chapter 28 the flight of the prince That starts here on page 597. Kind of similar to last week. What we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read the full chapter 28. We're going to split the second chapter, which is the Phoenix Lament, which is chapter 29. And then uh, Chase will actually close us out of this book uh, with the chapter 30, The White Tomb. So I'll go ahead and kick us off. Uh, Harry felt as though he too were hurtling through space. It had not happened. It could not have happened. Out of here quickly, said Snape. He seized Malfoy by the scruff of the neck and forced him through the door ahead of the rest. Greyback and the squat brother and sister followed, the latter both panting excitedly. As they vanished through the door, Haley realized he could move again. What was now holding him paralyzed against the wall was not magic, but horror and shock. He threw the invisibility cloak aside as the brutal-faced Death Eater, last to leave the tower top, was disappearing through the door. Petrificus totalis! The Death Eater buckled as though hit. He- "'in the back with something solid and fell to the ground, rigid as a waxwork. "'But he had barely hit the floor when Harry was clambering over him "'and running down the darkened staircase. "'Terror tore at Harry's heart. "'He had to get to Dumbledore, and he had to catch Snape. "'Somehow, the two things were linked. "'He could reverse what had happened if he had them both together. "'Dumbledore could not have died. "'He leapt the last ten steps of the spiral staircase "'and stopped where he landed, his wand raised.' The dimly lit corridor was full of dust. Half the ceiling seemed to have fallen in, and a battle was raging before him. But even as he attempted to make out who was fighting whom, he heard the hated voice shout, It's over! Time to go! And saw Snape disappearing around the corner at the far end of the corridor. He and Malfoy seemed to have forced their way through the fight unscathed. As Harry plunged after them, one of the fighters detached themselves from the fray and flew at him. It was the werewolf. Fenrir, he was on top of Harry before Harry could raise his wand. Harry fell backwards with filthy matted hair on his face, the stench of sweat and blood filling his nose. Mouth, hot, greedy, breath at his throat. Petrificus Totalus! Harry felt Fenrir collapse against him with a stupendous effort. He pushed the werewolf off and onto the floor as a jet of green light came flying toward him. He ducked and ran, headfirst into the fight. His feet met something squashy and slippery on the floor and he stumbled. There were two bodies lying there face down in a pool of blood, but there was no time to investigate. Harry now saw red hair flying like flames in front of him. Ginny was locked in combat with the lumpy Death Eater, Amicus, who was throwing hex after hex at her while she dodged them. Amicus was giggling, enjoying the sport. Crucio! Crucio! You can't dance forever, pretty! Impedimenta! yelled Harry, and his jinx hit Amicus in the chest. He gave a pig-like squeal of pain, was lifted off his feet... And slammed into the opposite wall, slid down it, and fell out of sight behind Ron, Professor McGonagall, and Lupin, each of whom was battling a separate Death Eater. Beyond them, Harry saw Tonks fighting an enormous blonde wizard who was sending curses flying in all directions, so they ricocheted off the walls around them, cracking stone, shattering the nearest window. ''Harry, where did you come from?'' Ginny cried, but there was no time to answer her. He put his head down and sprinted forward, narrowly avoiding a blast that erupted over his head, showering them all in bits of wall. Snape must not escape. He must catch up with Snape. ''Take that!'' shouted Professor McGonagall, and Harry glimpsed the female Death Eater Electo, sprinting away down the corridor with her arms over her head, her brother right behind her. He launched himself after them, but his foot caught on something, and the next moment he was lying across someone's legs. "'Looking around, he saw Neville's pale, round face flat against the floor. "'Neville, are you?' "'I'm I'm all right,' muttered Neville, who was clutching his stomach. "'Harry, Snape and Malfoy ran past.' "'I know, I'm on it,' said Harry, aiming a hex from the floor at the enormous blonde death eater who was causing most of the chaos. "'The man gave a howl of pain as the spell hit him in the face. "'He wheeled around, staggered, then pounded away after the brother and sister.' Harry scrambled up from the floor and began to sprint along the corridor, ignoring the bangs issuing from behind him, the yells of others to come back, and the mute call of the figures on the ground whose fate he did not yet know. He skidded around the corner his trainer slippery with blood. Snape had an immense head start. Was it possible that he had already entered the cabinet in the room of requirement, or had the order made steps to secure it to prevent the Death Eaters retreating that way? He could hear nothing but his own pounding feet, his own hammering heart as he sprinted along the next empty corridor, then spotted a bloody footprint that showed at least one of the fleeing Death Eaters was headed towards the front doors. Perhaps the room requirement was indeed blocked. He skidded around another corner and a curse flew past him. He died behind a suit of armor that exploded. He saw the brother and the sister running down the marble staircase ahead and aimed jinxes at them, but merely hit several bewigged witches in a portrait in the landing who ran screeching into their neighboring paintings. As he left the wreckage of armor, Harry heard more shouts and screams. Other people within the castle seemed to have finally awoken. He pelted towards a shortcut, hoping to overtake the brother and sister and close in on Snape and Malfoy, who must surely have reached the grounds by now. Remembering to leap the vanishing step halfway down this concealed staircase, he burst through a tapestry at the bottom and out into a corridor where a number of bewildered and pajama-clad Hufflepuffs stood. Harry, we heard a noise, and someone said something about the Dark Mark, began Ernie Macmillan. Out of the way, yelled Harry, knocking two boys aside as he sprinted toward the landing and down the remainder of the marble staircase. The oak front door has been blasted open. There were smears of blood on flagstones, and several terrified students stood huddled against the walls, one or two still cowering with their arms over their faces. The giant Gryffindor hourglass had been hit by a curse, and the rubies were falling within a loud rattle onto the flagstones below. Harry flew across the entrance hall and out into the grounds. He could just make out three figures racing across the lawn, heading for the gates beyond which they could disappear. And by the looks of them, the huge blonde Death Eater, and some way ahead of him, Snape and Malfoy. The cold air ripped at Harry's lungs as he tore after them. He saw a flash of light in the distance that momentarily silhouetted his quarry. He did not know what it was, but continued to run, not yet near enough to get a good aim with a curse. Another flash, shouts, retaliatory jets of light, and Harry understood Hagrid had emerged from his cabin and was trying to stop the Death Eaters escaping and though every breath seemed to shred his lungs and the stitch in his chest was like fire Harry sped up as an unbidden voice in his head said Not Hagrid, not Hagrid too Something caught Harry hard in the small of his back and he fell forward, his face smacking the ground blood pouring out of both nostrils He knew, even as he rolled over, his wand ready that the brother and sister he had overtaken using the shortcut were closing in behind him "'Impedimenta!' he yelled as he rolled over again, crouching close to the dark ground, and miraculously, his jinx hit one of them, who stumbled and fell, tripping up the other. Here he leapt to his feet and sprinted on after Snape. He now saw the vast outline of Hagrid illuminated by the light of the crescent moon, revealed suddenly behind the clouds. The blond Death Eater was aiming curse after curse at the gamekeeper, but Hagrid's immense strength and toughened skin he had inherited from his giantess mother seemed to be protecting him. Snape and Malfoy, however, were still running. They would soon be beyond the gates, able to disapparate. Harry ran past Hagrid and his opponent, took aim at Snape's back, and yelled, "Stupefy!" He missed. The jet of red light soared past Snape's head. Snape shouted, Run Draco! and turned. Twenty yards apart, he and Harry looked at each other before raising their wands simultaneously. "Crucio!" But Snape parried the curse, knocking Harry backward off his feet before he could complete it. Harry rolled over and scrambled back up again as the huge Death Eater behind him yelled, Incendio! Harry heard an explosive bang and a dancing orange light spilled over all of them. Hagrid's house was on fire. Fangs in there, you evil! Hagrid bellowed. Cruciate! yelled Harry for the second time, aiming for the figure ahead, illuminated in the dancing firelight, but Snape blocked the spell again. Harry could see him sneering. "'No unforgivable curses from you, Potter,' he shouted over the rushing of flames, Hagrid's yells, and the wild yelping of the trapped fang. "'You haven't got the nerve or the ability.'" Incarsa roared Harry, but Snape deflected the spell with an almost lazy flick of his arm. "'Fight back!' screamed Harry. "'Fight back, you cowardly!' "'Coward did you call me, Potter?' shouted Snape. "'Your father would never attack me unless it was four-on-one. "'What would you call him, I wonder?' "'Stupa!' "'Blocked again?' "'And again, and again, until you learn to keep your mouth shut and your mind closed, Potter,' sneered Snape, deflecting the curse once more. "'Now come!' he shouted at the huge Death Eater behind Harry. "'It's time to be gone before the Ministry turns up.' "'In But before he could finish this jinx, excruciating pain hit Harry. He had keeled over in the grass. Someone was screaming. He would surely die of this agony. Snape was going to torture him to death, or madness. "'No!' roared Snape's voice, and the pain stopped suddenly as it had started. Harry lay curled on the dark grass, clutching his wand and panting. Somewhere overhead, Snape was shouting, "'Have you forgotten our orders? Potter belongs to the Dark Lord! We are to leave him! Go! Go!' And Harry felt the ground shudder under his face as the brother and sister in the enormous death eater obeyed, running towards the gates. Harry uttered an inarticulate yell of rage, and in that instant he cared not whether he lived or died. Pushing himself to his feet again, he staggered blindly towards Snape, the man he now hated as much as he hated Voldemort himself. "'Sectums!' Snape flicked his wand and the curse was repelled yet again, but Harry was mere feet away now and could see Snape's face clearly at last. He was no longer sneering or jeering. The blazing flames showed a face full of rage. Mustering all his power of concentration, Harry thought, Levit! "'No, Potter!' screamed Snape. There was a loud bang!' and Harry was soaring backwards, hitting the ground hard again, and this time his wand flew out of his hand. He could hear Hagrid yelling and Fang howling as Snape closed in and looked down on him where he lay, wandless and defenseless as Dumbledore had been. Snape's pale face illuminated by the flaming cabin was suffused with hatred just as it had been before he had cursed Dumbledore. You dare use my own spells against me, Potter? It was I who invented them. I, the half- blood prince and you'd turn my inventions on me like your filthy father would you i don't think so no harry had died for his wand snape shot a hex at it and it flew feet away into the darkness and out of sight kill me then panted harry who felt no fear at all but only rage and contempt kill me like you killed him you coward don't screamed snape and his face was suddenly demented inhuman as though he was in as much pain as the yelping, howling dog stuck in the burning house behind them. Call me coward! And he slashed at the air. Harry felt a white, hot, whip-like something hit him across the face and was slammed backwards into the ground. Spots of light burst in front of his eyes, and for a moment all the breath seemed to have gone from his body. Then he heard a rush of wings above him, and something enormous obscured the stars. Buckbeak had flown at Snape, who staggered backwards as the razor-sharp claws slashed at him and as Harry raised himself into a sitting position, his head still swinging from its last contact with the enormous with the ground, he saw Snape running as hard as he could, the enormous beast flapping behind him and screeching, as Harry had never heard him screech. Harry struggled to his feet, looked around groggily for, for his wand, hoping to give chase again, but even as his fingers fumbled in the grass, discarding twigs, he knew it would be too late. And sure enough, by the time he had located his wand, he turned only to see the hippogriff circling the gates. Snape had managed to disapparate just beyond the school boundaries. "'Hagrid!' muttered Harry, still dazed, looking around. "'Hagrid!' he stumbled toward the burning house as an enormous figure emerged out of the flames, carrying Fang on his back. With a cry of thankfulness, Harry sank to his knees. He was shaking in every limb, his body ached all over, and his breath came in painful stabs. "'You alright, Harry?' Y'all yeah, right. Speak to me, Harry. Hagrid's huge, hairy face was swimming above Harry, blocking out the stars. Harry could smell burnt wood and dog hair. He put out a hand and felt things reassuringly warm and alive body quivering beside him. I'm all right, panted Harry. Are you? Of course I am. Take more than that to finish me. And Hagrid put his hands under Harry's arms and raised them up with such force that Harry's feet momentarily left the ground before Hagrid set him upright again. He could see blood trickling down Hagrid's cheek from a deep cut under one eye, which was swelling rapidly. "We should put out your house," said Harry. "The charms aguamenti." "New as something like that," mumbled Hagrid, and he raised a smouldering pink flowery umbrella and said, "Aguamenti!" And a jet of water flew out of the umbrella tip. Harry raised his wand arm, which felt like lead, and murmured "Aguamenti" too. Together, he and Hagrid poured water on the house until, the last, of the flame was extinguished. "'It's not too bad,' said Hagrid, hopefully a few minutes later, looking at the smoking wreck. "'Nothing Dumbledore won't be able to put right.' "'Harry felt a searing pain in his stomach at the sound of the name. "'In the silence and the stillness, horror rose inside him. "'Hagrid—I was boundin' up a couple bro-truckle legs when I heard em coming,' said Hagrid sadly, still staring at his wreck cabin. "'They will have been burnt to twigs, poor little things.' "'Hagrid—but what happened, Harry?' I just saw them Death Eaters running down from the castle, but what the ruddy hell was Snape doing with him? Where's he gone? Was he chasing him? He... Harry cleared his throat. It was dry from panic and the smoke. Hagrid, he killed. Killed, said Hagrid loudly, staring down at Harry. Snape killed? What are you on about, Harry? Dumbledore, said Harry. Snape killed Dumbledore. Hagrid simply looked at him. The little of his face that could be seen, completely blank, uncomprehending. Dumbledore what, Harry? He's dead. Snape killed him. Don't say that, said Hagrid roughly. Snape killed Dumbledore? Don't be stupid, Harry. What's made you say that? I saw it happen. You couldn't have. I saw it, Hagrid. Hagrid shook his head. His expression was disbelieving but sympathetic, and Harry knew that Hagrid thought he had sustained a blow to the head, that he was confused, perhaps by the after-effects of a jinx. "'What must have happened was... "'Dumbledore must have told Snape to go with the Death Eaters,' said Hagrid confidently. "'I suppose he's got to keep his cover. "'Look, let's get you back up to the school. Come on, Harry.' "'Harry did not attempt to argue or explain. "'He was still shaking uncontrollably. "'Hagrid would find out soon enough. Too soon. "'As they directed their steps back towards the castle, "'Harry saw that many of its windows were lit now. "'He could imagine, clearly, the scenes inside as people moved from room to room telling each other that Death Eaters had got in, that the mark was shining over Hogwarts, that somebody must have been killed. The yoke front doors stood open ahead of them, light flooding onto the drive in the lawn. Slowly, uncertainly, dressing-gown people were creeping down the steps, looking around nervously for some sign of the Death Eaters who had fled into the night. Harry's eye, however, was fixed on the ground at the foot of the tallest tower. He imagined that he could see a black, huddled mass lying in the grass there, "'though he was really too far away to see anything of the sort. "'Even as he stared wordlessly at the place "'where he thought Dumbledore's body must lie, "'he saw people beginning to move toward it. "'What are they all looking at?' said Hagrid "'as he and Harry approached the castle front, "'Fang keeping as close as he could to their ankles. "'What's that lying on the grass?' "'Hagrid added added sharply, "'heading now towards the foot of the Astronomy Tower, "'where a small crowd was congregating. "'See it, Harry? Right at the foot of the tower?' Under where the mar. blimey, you don't think someone's got thrown? Hagrid fell silent, the thought apparently too horrible to express aloud. Harry walked alongside him, feeling the aches and pains in his face and his legs where the varied hexes of the last half hour had hit him, though in an oddly detached way, as though somebody near him was suffering them. What was real and inescapable was the awful, pressing feeling in his chest. He and Hagrid moved, dreamlike, through the murmuring crowd to the very front. "'where the dumbstruck students and teachers had left the gap. "'Harry heard Hagrid's moan of pain and shock, but he did not stop. "'He walked slowly forward until he reached the place "'where Dumbledore lay crouched down beside him. "'He had known there was no hope from the moment "'that the full body-bind curse Dumbledore had placed upon him lifted, "'known that it could have only happened because its caster was dead. "'But there was still no preparation for seeing him there, "'spread-eagled, broken.' the greatest wizard Harry had ever, or would ever, meet. Dumbledore's eyes were closed, but for the strange angle of his arms and legs, he might have been sleeping. Harry reached out, straightened the half-moon spectacles upon the crooked nose, and wiped a trickle of blood from the mouth with his own sleeve. Then he gazed down at the wise old face and tried to absorb the enormous incomprehensible truth that never again would Dumbledore speak to him. Never again could he help. The crowd murmured behind Harry. After what seemed like a long time, he became aware that he was kneeling upon something hard and looked down. The locket they had managed to steal so many hours before had fallen out of Dumbledore's pocket. It had opened, perhaps, due to the force with which it hit the ground. And although he could not feel more shock or horror or sadness than he felt already, Harry knew as he picked it up that there was something wrong. He turned the locket over in his hands. This was neither as large as the locket he remembered seeing in the pensieve, nor were there any markings upon it. No sign of the ornate S that was supposed to be Slytherin's mark. Moreover, there was nothing inside but for a scrap of folded parchment wedged tightly into place where a portrait should have been. Automatically, without really thinking about what he was doing, Harry pulled out the fragment of parchment, opened it, and read by the light, Of the many wands that had now lit behind him, it said, To the Dark Lord, I know I will be dead long before you read this, but I want you to know that it was I who discovered your secret. I have stolen the real Horcrux and intend to destroy it as soon as I can. I face death in the hope that when you meet your match, you will be mortal once more. Signed, R, A, B. Harry neither knew nor cared what the message meant. Only one thing mattered. This was not a horcrux. Dumbledore had weakened himself by drinking that terrible potion for nothing. Harry crumpled the parchment in his hand, and his eyes burned with tears as behind him, Fang began to howl. And that is Chapter 28, Flight of the Prince. So let's go ahead and break this chapter down, talk about some of the things that stood out to you. Since I just read, I'll go ahead and pass it over to you to kind of give your thoughts on it. Then I'll give my thoughts, and I'll let you start us on chapter 29.
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, first, from the beginning, you have that really full-circle, unmistakable moment. Of course, it really is a big shock when Harry is using all the spells that he's learned from the beginning and finally who do we find out is the half-blood prince this entire time Um, also I wanted to point out uh, just like you were mentioning when Snape said call me a coward again so just remember that moment we'll talk about it a long time from now but it plays a big moment later on when you're thinking about point of views Um, is far as from that point like you realize everyone's really just letting it sink in that dumbledore is gone like there's no coming back um and uh, on top of that like talk of like i mean think about the death eaters just like destroyed everything (laughs) like i mean hagrid's hut is just blown to smithereens like no one can really believe what's even happening and i think the moment that really sets in most with the audience of us here is when Harry sees uh, Dumbledore's body, and it's spread eagled and like mangled and he watch wipes the blood from his lit um, and fix fixes you know the half crooked uh, spectacle uh, the half moon spectacles on his nose, and that's a really significant moment because. That's the way we always think of Albus, as with those half moon spectacles, very calm, always collected, control the situation, and he's just not there anymore. And even worse, they made all these sacrifices, and everything's in vain now. And uh, remember that RAB, because uh, we'll talk about that later on, it plays a big role, but everything they did in that cave uh, with the Inferi, drinking the potion, coming back. All of that was for nothing now. And, uh, yeah, what about you, man? What would you pick up from this chapter?
0: The first thing I want to mention is about when he said, like, call me a coward again. He didn't say call me a coward again. He, he's, he's, like, enraged that he's being called a coward. He's like, He was like, don't yeah. call me coward! <laughs> like, you know, and we'll, we'll learn why that sets Snape off so much. And, you know, mm-hmm. regardless, that's going to be for Deathly Hallows. But there's a lot of things that I took from this, like, Again, it's almost like the teenagers are better at dueling than the damn Order of the Phoenix. Like, Harry comes down the stairs, Jinx is the one uh, Death Eater, puts Petrificus Totalus on him, jumps over him, he runs into the fray, he sees, like, Ginny fighting Amicus, and hits uh, Amicus with the Impedimenta. Like, he, like, he's doing more in the 30 seconds that he was there and able to move than the old Order did the whole 20 minutes that Malfoy and Dumbledore were talking up on the, the Astronomy Tower. It's like, man, they like it, it, for heroes and good guys. They're they're really uh, not not exactly the cream of the crop, I guess, what, from what we <laughs> assume, because it wasn't like a whole host of Death Eaters. Really, there was only what five or six. You a know, we think about it, maybe like yeah, yeah. because like let's try and to like, Cor- Corbin La- Corbin Yaxley, the huge blonde one that was sending curses everywhere, uh, Amicus Electo Fenrir. Uh, I guess you can call Snape, uh, you know, six, and then, like, seven is the guy who set off the dark mark, Gibbons, we're about to hear in just a second, so, yeah, there was, like, seven Death Eaters there, and, like, you know, we were about to find out in this thing, all the members of the Order, like, which ones were there fighting, and, you know, especially one being an Auror, yeah, not to ruin anything that's about to come up here, like, come on, man, we we needed to do better than we did as a team, but regardless... Uh, Again, Hagrid kind of showed some really cool abilities of being part giant. We saw it last book when they try to take him during the owl exam and all the spells were bouncing off him. Well, this sort of thing kind of happened again. All these Death Eaters are throwing curses at him and they're just bouncing off him. You know, at the end, Hagrid's like, it's going to take more than that to kill me, man. But (laughs) Hagrid's house on fire. But to your point, in terms of a big impact moment, we found out that Snape, after this whole time, was the Half-Blood Prince. And that that Harry was using his own spells against him, but one thing I wanted to point out, or at least try to wonder about and ask about, it's like Snape is even trying to help Harry as he's in a duel with Harry. He's like blocked again and again until you learn to keep your mouth shut and your mind closed. Like he's teaching Harry as he's kicking (laughs) Harry's ass. Like what? What in the world? Like that was so wild (laughs) to me. Um, And then remember when. Harry, like, took aim and tried to hit Snape with that stupefy from, like, about 20 yards or so away. Like, pretty far away. You tried to hit him with that stupefy, and it said it just went past, like, Snape's head. What would have happened if that spell connected and they, they st- stunned Snape? I wonder, like, what would have happened to the whole everything? Because, like, you know, Snape yeah. isn't going to be able to spin a story to get out of that. You know what I mean? Talking about when he's got to deal with the order if they catch him. You know, like if snape gets well, stunned by that spell that harry just missed with i don't know what happens mm-hmm. to the rest of this storyline it's a, it's a funny what if but anyways
1: oh well, i don't think I, I thought i was also gonna get yeah i mean my only argument to that is i don't think snape is gonna get caught off guard by a stupefy spell well he did <laughs> like, that's I what mean... i'm saying
0: like the like, like he literally did like that's what i'm saying the didn't know he was being pursued literally like his, mm-hmm. Snape had no idea Harry was behind him and Harry shot that spell and then Snape only turned around once the spell like almost hit him he's like whoa what was that and oh now I see Harry so like yeah. he wasn't paying attention like he was had his back to him so if he would have if he would have had a better aim like man who knows how this would have turned out he would have been able to stun Snape and I don't really know how that would have done because that would have changed the whole story because now he'd be like a prisoner of the Order of the Phoenix or they might have just killed him straight off or like I don't know what would have happened he would have had like one of those <laughs> sucked weird sucked out his soul hit <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the Dementors yeah, was... kiss on him but the Dementors work for Voldemort now so it's like really what would have happened man I really have no idea yeah. but uh, and, uh yeah uh,
1: mention this real quick because if you notice uh and this plays a large role later on like how we're talking about character point of views if you notice remember when he was saying you know he's for the dark lord like small moments like that like all all these people were wanting to take out harry right there and then he says you know no he's for the dark lord let's go like let's get out of here um and it's moments like that that really do play a large role later on so just for our audience uh just take in those small moments because they uh it gives you a whole different perspective Later on, so yeah, because keep, keep taking it away. Yeah, well, honestly, I'm glad you there. put
0: you brought that up because that actually is huge. Imagine if like Snape didn't say leave Harry. Like, what if they just took Snape with them to like to Voldemort? Because they could have done that, right. you know what I mean? They like mm-hmm. obviously Snape was kicking Harry's ass up and down the grounds of Hogwarts, so like he was like yeah. you know like they could have just like wrapped him up in some sort of spell and then disapparated with him, and all of a sudden you've served Harry Potter up on a like a silver platter right to Voldemort's front doorstep if they wanted to, you know? Mm-hmm. So the fact that 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 Snape said, "Hey, leave him; he's for the Dark Lord," it's very interesting. It uh, definitely is uh, a big thing because this whole book could have ended right here if that. Simple sentence wasn't said, so I'll say right. that. Um, also thought it was cool that Buckbeat came out of nowhere and tried to attack Snape. That was pretty cool. Yeah, we haven't seen cool. the Hippogriff attack mm-hmm. since Malfoy in book three, so that was interesting. And then, yeah, it's, to your point, the last thing that really stood out more than anything in that chapter is the fact that when they finally got, like, Harry was trying to tell Hagrid ahead of time, like, no, Snape killed Dumbledore, and Hagrid's, like, not having it. But then they finally go see him. Not, not so much that, like, the the scene of the way that it was set kind of stuck with me because for me, I kind of assumed that's how it's going to be. This astronomy tower has got to be like a hundred feet high at the very least, probably taller. So if your body falls off that at a, like a flat, like, you know, dead weight fall, free fall, of course your body is going to be broken and crumpled at the bottom of this. So that didn't strike right. me. What bothered me is that, like you said, it was all for nothing. He bumped down, opened the locket, and it's not even real Horcrux. They went through all of that, didn't weaken Voldemort, and lost the toughest like competition that Voldemort would have had going forward all in one fell swoop. So yeah, that yeah. that's like really the last thing that, that kind of stuck out to me. But I'll go ahead and let you go and take it from uh, chapter twenty nine and go through halfway through there, turn it back over to me, and then you'll finish us out in
1: chapter thirty, man. Sounds great, brother. Uh, so the Phoenix Lamet. Uh, This is on chapter 29. Come here, Harry. No. Yeah, you can stay here, Harry. Come on now. No. He did not want to leave Dumbledore's side. He did not want to move anywhere. Hagrid's hand on his shoulder was trembling. Then another voice said, Harry, come on. A much smaller and warmer hand had enclosed his and was pulling him upward. He obeyed its pressure without really thinking about it. Only as he walked blindly back through the crowd did he realize from a trace of flowery scent on the air that it was Jenny who was leading him back up into the castle. Incomprehensible voices battered him, sobs and shouts and wails stabbed at the night. But Harry and Jenny walked on, back up the steps into the entrance hall. Faces swam on the edges of Harry's vision. People were peering. Adam, whispering, wondering, and Gryffindor rubies glistened on the floor like drops of blood as they made their way toward the marble staircase. We're going to the hospital wing, said Ginny. I'm not hurt, said Harry. It's McGonagall's orders, said Ginny. Everyone's up there, Ron, Hermione, and Lupin, and everybody. Fear stirred in Harry's chest again. He had forgotten the inherent figures he had left behind. Ginny, who else is dead? Don't worry, none of us. But the dark mark. Malfoy said he stepped over a body. He stepped over Bill, but it's alright. He's alive. There was something in her voice, however, that Harry knew bodied ill. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure, he said. Yeah, of course I'm sure. He's a, a bit of a mess, that's all. Greyback attacked him. Madame Pomfrey says he won't, won't look the same anymore. Jenny's voice trembled a little. We don't really know what the after effects will be, I mean... Greybacks being a werewolf but not transformed at the time. But the others there were other bodies on the ground. Neville and Professor Flitwick are both hurt, but Madame Pomfrey says they'll be alright. And a Death Eater's dead. He got hit by the killing curse that huge blonde one was firing off everywhere. Harry, if it hadn't been if it hadn't had your Felix potion, I think we'd all been killed. But everything seemed just miss us. They had reached the hospital wing, pushing open the doors. Harry saw Neville lying, apparently asleep, in a bed near the door. Ron Hermione, Luna, Tonks, and Lupin were gathering around another bed near the far end of the ward. At the sound of the doors opening they all looked up. Hermione ran to Harry, hugged him. Lupin moved forward too, looking anxious. Are you all right, Harry? I'm fine. How's Bill? Nobody answered. Harry looked over Hermione's shoulder and saw an unrecognizable face lying on Bill's pillow, so badly slashed and ripped that he looked grotesque. Madame Pomfrey was dabbing at his wounds with some harsh-smelling green ointment. Harry remembered how Snape had mended Malfoy's septum centra wounds so easily with with his wand. Can't you fix them with a charm or something? he asked the matron. "'No charm will work on these,' said Madame Pomfrey. "'I've tried everything I know, but there is no cure for werewolf bites.' "'But he wasn't bitten at the full moon,' said Ron, "'who was gazing down into his brother's face "'as though he could somehow force him to mend just by staring. Greyback hadn't transformed, so surely Bill won't be a real—' "'He looked uncertainly a Lupin.' "'No, I don't think Bill will be a true werewolf,' said Lupin. "'But that does not mean that there won't be some contamination.' Those are cursed wounds. They are unlikely ever to heal fully. And and Bill might have some wolfish characteristics from now on. Dumbledore might know something that worked though, Ron said. Where is he? Bill fought those maniacs on Dumbledore's orders. Dumbledore owes him. He can't leave him in state. Ron. Dumbledore's dead, said Ginny. No! Lupin looked wildly from Jenny to Harry as though hoping the latter might contradict her. But when Harry did not, Lupin collapsed into a chair, beside Bill's bed. His hands over his face, Harry had never seen Lupin lose control before. He felt as though he was intruding upon something private, indecent. He turned away and caught Ron's eye. Instead, exchanging in silence, a look that confirmed what Jenny had said. How did he die? whispered Tonks. How did it happen? Snape killed him, said Harry. I was there. I saw it. We arrived back on the astronomy tower because that's where the mark was. Dumbledore was ill. He was weak, but I think he realized it was a trap. When he heard footsteps running up the stairs, he immobilized me. I couldn't do anything. I was under the invisibility cloak, and and Malfoy came through the door, disarmed him. Hermione clapped her hands to her mouth, and Ron groaned. Luna's mouth trembled. More Death Eaters arrived, and then Snape... And Snape did it. The Avada Kedavra. Harry couldn't go on. Madame Pomfrey burst into tears. Nobody paid her any attention except Jenny, who whispered, Shh, listen! Gulping, Madame Pomfrey pressed her he- fingers to her mouth, her eyes wide. Someone, Somewhere out in the darkness, a phoenix was singing in a way Harry had never heard before. A stricken laminate of terrible beauty. And Harry felt as he had felt about the phoenix song before that the music was inside him not without it was his own grief turned magically to song and echoed across the grounds and through the castle windows how long they all stood there listening he did not know nor why it seemed to ease their pain a little to listen to the sound of their mourning but it felt like a long time later that the hospital door opened again and Professor McGonagall entered the ward like all the rest she bore Mark's Of the recent battle, there were grazes on her face and her robes were ripped. Molly and Arthur are on their way, she said. And the spell of the music was broken. Everyone roused themselves as though coming out of trances, turning again to look at Bill, or else to rub their own eyes and shake their heads. Harry, what happened? According to Hagrid, you were with Professor Dumbledore when he, when it happened. He says Professor Snape was involved in some. Snape killed Dumbledore, said Harry. She stared at him for a moment and then swayed alarmingly. Madame Pomfrey, who seemed to have pulled herself together, ran forward, conjuring a chair from thin air when she pushed under McGonagall. Snape, repeated McGonagall faintly, falling into the chair. We all wondered, but. But he trusted. He always. Snape, I. I can't believe it. Snape was a highly accomplished Clumans, said Lupin, his voice uncharacteristically harsh. We always knew that. But Dumbledore swore he was on our side, whispered Tonks. I always thought Dumbledore must know something about Snape that we didn't. He always hinted that he had an ironclad reason for trusting Snape, muttered Professor McGonagall, now dabbing at the corners of her leaking eyes with a tartan-edged handkerchief. I mean, with Snape's history, of course. People were bound to wonder, but Dumbledore told me explicitly that Snape's repentance was absolute." absolutely genuine wouldn't hear a word against him I'd love to know what Snape told him to convince him said Tonks I know said Harry they all turned to look at him Snape passed Voldemort the information that made Voldemort hunt down my mom and dad then Snape told Dumbledore he hadn't realized what he was doing he was really sorry he hadn't done it sorry that they were dead they all stared at him and Dumbledore believed that said Lupin incredulously Dumbledore believed Snape was sorry James was dead. Snape hated James. And he didn't think my mother was worth a damn either, said Harry, because she was muggle-born. Mudblood, he called her. Nobody asked how Harry knew this. All of them seemed to be lost in horrified shock, trying to digest the monstrous truth of what had happened. This is all my fault, said Professor McGonagall suddenly. She looked disoriented, twisting her wet handkerchief in her hands. My fault. "'I sent Phileas to fetch Snape tonight. I actually sent him to come and help us. "'If I hadn't alerted Snape what was going on, he might never have joined forces with the Death Eaters. "'I don't know. He knew they were there before Phileas told him. I don't think he knew they were coming.' "'It isn't your fault, Minerva,' said Lupin firmly. "'We all wanted more help. We were glad to think Snape was on the way.' "'So when he arrived at the fight, he joined in on the Death Eaters' side,' asked Sari. "'He wanted every detail of Snape's duplicity and infamy, feverishly collecting more reasons to hate him, to swear vengeance. "'I don't know exactly how it happened,' said Professor McGonagall distractedly. "'It's also confusing. "'Dumbledore had told us that he would be leaving school for a few hours "'and that we were to patrol the corridors just in case Remus, Bill, and Infidora were to join us, "'and so we patrolled. "'All seemed quiet. "'Every secret, secret passageway out of the school was covered.' We knew nobody could fly in, and there was a powerful enchantments on every entrance in the castle. I still don't know how the Death Eaters can possibly have entered. I do, said Harry, and he explained briefly about the pair of vanishing cabinets and the magical pathway they formed. So they got in through the room of requirement? Almost against his will, he glanced from Ron to Hermione, both of whom looked devastated. I messed up, Harry, said Ron bleakly. We did like he told us. We checked the Marauder's map and we couldn't see Malfoy on it. So we thought he must be in the room of requirements, so me, Jenny, and Neville went to keep watch on it. But Malfoy got past us. He came out of the room about a half an hour after we started keeping watch, said Jenny. He was on his own, clutching the awful, shriveled arm. His hand of glory, said Ron. Gives light only to the holder, remember? Anyway, Jenny went on. He must have been checking whether the coast was clear to let the Death Eaters out, because the moment he saw us, threw something into the air and it all went pitch black. Peruvian instant darkness powder," said Ron bitterly. Fred and George's. I'm going to having a word with them about who they let buy their products. We tried everything, Lumos, Incendio, said Jenny. Nothing would penetrate the darkness. All we could do was grope our way out of the corridor again, and meanwhile we could hear people rushing past us. Obviously, Malfoy could see because of the hand thing was guiding him, but we didn't dare use any curses or anything in case we hit each other, and by the time we reached the corridor that was light, they'd gone. Luckily, said Lupin hoarsely. Ron, Jenny, and Neville ran into almost immediately, and they told us what had happened. We found the Death Eaters minutes later, heading into the direction of the astronomy tower. Malfoy obviously hadn't expected more people to be on the watch. He seemed to have exhausted his supply of darkness power at any rate. A fight broke out. They scattered and we gave chase. One of them, Gibbon, broke away and headed up the, town stair- the tower stairs. To set off the mark? asked Harry. He must have done, yes. They must have arranged that before they left the room of requirement, said Lupin. "'But I don't think Gibbon liked the idea "'of waiting up there alone for Dumbledore "'because he came running back down the stairs "'to rejoin the fight "'and then was hit by the killing curse "'that just missed me.' "'So if Ron was watching the room of requirement "'with Ginny and Neville,' said Harry, "'turning to Hermione, were you?' "'Outside Snape's office, yes,' whispered Hermione, "'her eyes sparkling with tears with Luna. "'We hung around for ages outside it. "'Nothing happened. "'We didn't know what was going on upstairs. "'Ron had taken the map, it was nearly midnight when Professor Flitwick came sprinting down into the dungeons. He was shouting about Death Eaters in the castle. I don't think he really registered that Luna and I were there at all. He just burst his way into Snape's office, and we heard him say, saying that Snape had to go back with him and help them. And then we heard a loud thump, and Snape came hurtling out of his room, and he saw us, and... What? Harry urged her. I was so stupid, Harry, said Hermione in a high-pitched whisper. He said Professor Flitwick had collapsed and that we should go and take care of him while he, while he went to help the Death Eaters. She covered her face in shame and continued to talk into her fingers so that her voice was muffled. We went into his office to see if we could help Professor Flitwick and found him unconscious on the floor. And though no, it's so obvious now, Snape must have stupefied Flitwick, but we didn't realize, Harry. We didn't realize we just let Snape go. It's not your fault. "'said Lupin firmly, "'Hermione, had you not obeyed Snape and got out of the way, "'he probably would have killed you and, Luna, you and Luna.' "'So then he came upstairs,' said Harry, "'who was watching Snape running up the marble staircase in his mind's eye, "'his black robes billowing behind his, him, as er, him as ever, "'pulling his wand from under his cloak as he ascended. "'And he found the place where you were all fighting. "'We were all in trouble.' "'We were losing,' said Tonks in a low voice. Gibbon was down, but the rest of the Death Eaters seemed ready to fight to the death. Neville had been hurt. Bill had been savaged by Greyback. It was all dark. Curses flying everywhere. The Malfoy boy had vanished. He must have slipped past us up the stairs. And then more of them ran after him, but one of them blocked the stair behind them with some kind of curse. Neville ran it and got thrown up in the air, into the air." None of us could break through, said Ron. That massive Death Eater was still firing off jinxes all over the place. They were bouncing off the walls and barely missing us. And then Snape was there, said Tonks. And then he wasn't. I saw him running towards us, but that huge Death Eater's jinx just missed me right after I had ducked and lost track of things, said Jenny. I saw him run straight through the cursed barrier as though it wasn't there, said Lupin. I tried to follow him, but was thrown back just like Neville. He must have known a spell we didn't, whispered McGonagall. After all, he was the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. I just assume that he was in a hurry to chase after the Death Eaters who'd escaped up to the tower. He was, said Harry savagely, but to help them not to stop them. And I'll bet you had to have a dark mark to get through the barrier. So what happened when he came back down? Well... That big Death Eater had just fired off a hex that caused half the ceiling to fall in. and also broke the curse blocking the stairs, said Lupin. We all ran forward, those of us who were still standing anyways. And then Snape and the boy emerged out of the dust. Obviously, none of us attacked him. We just let them pass, said Tonks in a hollow voice. We thought they were being chased by Death Eaters, and next thing the other Death Eaters and Greyback were back, and we were fighting again, and... I thought I heard Snape about something, but I don't know what. He shouted, it's over, said Harry. he done what he meant to do. They all fell silent. Fox Lamnette was still echoing over the dark grounds outside. As the music reverberated upon the air, unbidden, unwelcome thoughts slunk into Harry's Harry's mind. Had they taken Dumbledore's body from the foot of the tower yet? What would happen to it next? Where would it rest? He clenched his fists tightly in his pockets. He could feel the small cold lump of the fake horcrux against the knuckles of his right hand. The doors of the hospital wing burst open, making them all jump. Mr. and Miss Weasley were striding upward, up the ward. Floor just behind them, her beautiful face terrified. Molly, Arthur, said Professor McGonagall, jumping up and hurrying to greet them. I am so sorry. Bill whispered Miss Weasley, darting past Professor McGonagall as she caught sight of Bill's mangled face. So, Bill, Lupin and Tonks had got up hastily and retreated so that Mr. and Miss Weasley could get nearer to the bed. Miss Weasley, bent over her son, pressed her lips to his bloody forehead. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man, for 622.
0: First off, let's put some respect on Mrs. Weasley's name. It's not Miss Weasley. She is a married woman, so we're going to put respect on Mrs. Ms. Weasley.
1: No, Mrs. she is a
0: yeah. missus. She is married, locked down with the ring <laughs> on the finger. So we'll put respect on Mrs. Weasley's name. But yes, I'll go ahead and, and take it from here uh, all the way through the rest <laughs> of the chapter If you like it, 29.
1: then you better put a <laughs> ring on it. <laughs> and, and Arthur did and gave her
0: like seven children. So <laughs> I, think, I think he more than put a ring on it.
1: Uh, brings All right. us back so, to that uh, cauldron of hot strong love remember that oh lord <laughs> yeah. yes very well you, man. <laughs> for sure so
0: they uh, finished out chapter 29 here you said Greyback attacked him mr weasley asked professor mcgonagall distractedly but he hadn't transformed so what does that mean what will happen to bill we don't know yet said professor mcgonagall looking helplessly at lupin there will probably be some contamination, Arthur, said Lupin. It's an odd case, possibly unique. We don't know what his behavior might be like when he awakens. Mrs. Weasley took the nasty smelling ointment from Madame Pomfrey and began dabbing at Bill's wounds. And Dumbledore, said Mr. Weasley, Minerva, is it true? Is he really? As Professor McGonagall nodded, Harry felt Ginny move beside him and he looked at her. "'Her slightly narrowed eyes were fixed upon fewer who was gazing down at Bill "'with a frozen expression on her face. "'Dumbledore gone,' whispered Mr. Weasley. "'But Mrs. Weasley had eyes only for her eldest son. "'She began to sob, tears falling onto Bill's mutilated face. "'Of course, it doesn't matter how he looks. "'It's not really important. "'But he was a very handsome little boy, always very handsome, and "'and he was going to be married.' ''And what do you mean by that?'' said Fleur suddenly and loudly. ''What do you mean he was going to be married?'' Mrs. Weasley raised her tear-stained face, looking startled. ''Well, only that...'' ''You think Bill will not wish to marry me anymore?'' demanded Fleur. ''You think because of these bites he will not love me?'' ''No, that's not what I...'' ''Because he will!'' said Fleur, drawing herself up to full height and throwing back her long mane of silver hair. "'It would take more than a werewolf to stop Bill loving me.' "'Well, yes, I'm sure,' said Mrs. Weasley, "'but I thought perhaps, given how... how... "'You thought I would not wish to marry him?' "'Or perhaps you hoped,' said Fielder, her nostrils flaring. "'What do I care how he looks? "'I am good-looking enough for the both of us, I think. "'All these scars show is that my husband is brave, "'and I shall do that,' she added fiercely, "'pushing Mrs. Weasley aside and snatching the ointment from her.' Mrs. Weasley fell back against her husband and watched fewer mopping up Bill's wounds with a most curious expression upon her face. Nobody said anything. Harry did not dare move. Like everybody else, he was waiting for the explosion. "'Our great Auntie Muriel,' said Mrs. Weasley after a long pause, "'has a very beautiful tiara, goblin made, "'which I am sure I could persuade her to lend you for the wedding. "'She's very fond of Bill, you know, and it would look lovely with your hair.'" "'Thank you,' said Fiora stiffly. "'I am sure as that would be lovely.' "'And then, Harry did not quite see how it happened. "'Both women were crying and hugging each other. "'Completely bewildered, wondering whether the world had gone mad, he turned around. Ron looked as stunned as he had felt, and Ginny and Hermione were exchanging startled looks. "'You see?' said a strained voice Tonks was glaring at Lupin. "'She still wants to marry him, even though he's been bitten. "'She doesn't care.' It's different, said Lupin, barely moving his lips and looking suddenly tense. Bill will not be a full werewolf. The cases are completely... But I don't care either. I don't care, said Tonks, seizing the front of Lupin's robes and shaking them. I've told you a million times. And the meaning of Tonks's Patronus and her mouse-colored hair, and the reason she had come running to find Dumbledore when she heard a rumor that someone had been attacked by Greyback, all suddenly became clear to Harry. It had not been serious that Tonks had fallen in love with, after all. And I've told you a million times, said Lupin, refusing to meet her eyes staring at the floor, that I am too old for you, too poor, too dangerous. I've said all along, you're taking a ridiculous line on this, Remus, said Mrs. Weasley over Flewra's shoulder as she patted her on the back. I am not being ridiculous, said Lupin steadily. Tonks deserves somebody young and whole." "'But she wants you,' said Mr. Weasley "'with a small smile. "'And after all, Remus, young and whole men "'do not necessarily remain so,' "'as he gestured sadly at his own son "'lying between them. "'This is not the moment to discuss it,' "'said Lupin, avoiding everybody's eyes "'as he looked around distractedly. "'Dumbledore is dead.' "'Dumbledore would have been happier than anybody "'to think there was a little more love in the world,' "'said Professor McGonagall curtly, "'just as the hospital doors opened again "'and Haggard walked in. "'The little of face that was not obscured by hair or beard was soaking and swollen he was shaking with tears a vast spotted handkerchief in his hand i've i've done it professor he choked moved him professor sprouts got the kids back in bed professor flivik's lying down but he says he'll be all right in a jiffy and professor slughorn says the ministry's been informed thank you Hagrid," said professor mcgonigal standing up at once and turning to look at the group around bill's bed i shall have to see to the ministry when they get here Hagrid, please tell the heads of houses, Slughorn can represent Slytherin, that I want to see them in my office forthwith. I would like you to join us too. As Hagrid nodded and turned and shuffled out of the room again, she looked down at Harry. Before I meet them, I would like a quick word with you, Harry, if you'll come with me. Harry stood up, murmured, see you in a bit, to Ron and Hermione and Ginny, and followed Professor McGonagall back down the ward. The corridors outside were deserted, and the only sound was a distant Phoenix song. It was several minutes before Harry became aware that they were not heading for Professor McGonagall's office, but for Dumbledore's, and another few seconds before he realized that, of course, she had been Deputy Headmistress. Apparently, she was now Headmistress, so the room behind the gargoyles was now hers. In silence, they ascended the moving spiral staircase and entered the circular office. He did not know what he had expected that the room would be draped in black, perhaps, or even that Dumbledore's body might be lying there, but in fact it looked almost exactly as it had done when he and Dumbledore had left it mere hours previously. The silver instruments whirring and puffing on their spindled leg tables, Gryffindor's sword in its glass case gleaming in the moonlight, the sorting hat on a shelf behind the desk, but Fox's perch stood empty. He was still crying his lament to the grounds. And a new portrait had joined the ranks of the dead headmasters and headmistresses of Hogwarts. "'Dumbledore was slumbering in a golden frame over his desk, "'his half-moon spectacles perched upon his crooked nose, "'looking peaceful and untroubled. "'After glancing once at this portrait, "'Professor McGonagall made an odd movement as though stealing herself, "'then rounded the desk to look at Harry, her face taut and lined. "'Harry,' she said, "'I would like to know what you and Professor Dumbledore were doing this evening "'when you left the school.' "'I can't tell you that, Professor,' said Harry.' He had expected the question, and he had his answer ready. It had been here, in this very room, that Dumbledore had told him he was to confide the contents of their lesson to nobody but Ron and Hermione. Harry, it might be important, said Professor McGonagall. It is, said Harry. Very. But he didn't want me to tell anyone. Professor McGonagall glared at him. Potter, Harry registered the renewed use of his surname, in the light of Professor Dumbledore's death... I think you must see that the situation has changed somewhat. I don't think so, said Harry, shrugging. Professor Dumbledore never told me to stop following his orders, even if he died. But there's one thing you should know before the Ministry gets here, though. Madame Rosemarita under the Imperius curse. She was helping Malfoy and the Death Eaters. That's how the necklace and the poison mead. Rosemarita, said Professor McGonagall incredulously. Before she could go on, there was a knock on the door behind them, and Professor Sprout... Plitwick, and Slughorn traipsed into the room, followed by Hagrid, who was still weeping copiously, his huge frame trembling with grief. "'Snape!' ejaculated Slughorn, who looked the most shaken, pale and sweating. "'Snape! I taught him! I thought I knew him!' But before any of them could respond to this, a sharp voice spoke from high on the wall. A sallow-faced wizard with a short black fringe had just walked back into his empty canvas. "'Minerva? The minister will be here within seconds?' "'He has just disapparated from the Ministry.' "'Thank you, Everard,' said Professor McGonagall, "'and she turned quickly to her teachers. "'I want to talk about what happens to Hogwarts "'before he gets here,' she said quickly. "'Personally, I am not convinced "'that the school should reopen next year. "'The death of the headmaster at the hands of one of our colleagues "'is a terrible stain upon Hogwarts' history. "'It is horrible.' "'I am sure Dumbledore would have wanted the school "'to remain open,' said Professor Sprout. "'I feel if a single pupil wants to come,' then the school ought to remain open for that pupil. "'But will we have a single pupil after this?' said Slughorn, now dabbing his sweating brow with his silken handkerchief. "'People will want to keep their children at home, and I can't say that I blame them. Personally, I don't think we're any more danger here at Hogwarts than anywhere else, but you can't expect mothers to think like that. They'll want to keep their families together. It's only natural.' "'I agree,' said Professor McGonagall. "'In any case,' "'It is not true to say that Dumbledore never envisaged a situation that Hogwarts might close. "'When the Chamber of Secrets reopened, he considered the closure of the school. "'And I must say that Professor Dumbledore's murder is more disturbing to me "'than the idea of Slytherin's monster living undetected in the bowels of the castle.' "'We must consult the governors,' said Professor Flitwick in his squeaky little voice. "'He had a a large bruise on his forehead, but seemed otherwise unscathed by its collapse in Snape's office.' "'We must follow the established procedures. "'A decision should not be made hastily.' "'Hagrid, you haven't said anything,' said Professor McGonagall. "'What are your views? "'Ought Hogwarts to remain open?' "'Hagrid, who had been weeping silently into his large spotted handkerchief "'throughout this conversation, now raised puffy red eyes and croaked, "'I don't know, Professor. "'That's for the heads of houses and the headmistress to decide.' "'Professor Dumbledore always valued your views,' said Professor McGonagall kindly. "'And so do I.' "'Well, I'm staying." said Hagrid, fat tears still leaking out of the corners of his eyes and trickling down into his tangled beard. It's my home. It's been my home since I was 13. And if there's kids who want me to teach them, I'll do it. But I don't know. Hogwarts without Dumbledore. He gulped and disappeared behind his handkerchief once more. And there was silence. Very well, said Professor McGonagall, glancing out of the window at the grounds, checking to see whether the minister was yet approaching. "'Then I must agree with Phileas that the right thing to do "'is to consult the governors who will make the final decision. "'Now, as to getting the students home, "'there is an argument for doing it sooner rather than later. "'We could arrange for the Hogwarts Express "'to come to tomorrow if necessary.' "'What about Dumbledore's funeral?' said Harry, speaking at last. "'Well,' said Professor McGonagall, "'losing a little of her briskness as her voice shook, "'I know that it was Dumbledore's wish "'to be laid to rest here at Hogwarts.' "'Then that's what will happen, isn't it?' said Harry fiercely. "'If the Ministry thinks it appropriate,' said McGonagall. "'No other headmistress or headmaster or headmistress has ever been—' "'No other headmaster or headmistress ever gave more to this school,' growled Hagrid. "'Hogwarts should be Dumbledore's final resting place,' said Professor Flitwick. "'Absolutely,' said Professor Sprout. "'And in that case,' said Harry, "'you shouldn't send the students home until the funeral's over. "'They'll want to say—' The last words caught in his throat, but Professor Sprout completed the sentence for him. Goodbye. Well said, squeaked Professor Flitwick. Well said, indeed. Students should play tribute. It's fitting. We can arrange transport home afterward. Seconded, barked Professor Sprout. I suppose, yes, said Slughorn in a rather agitated voice, while Hager let out a strangled sob of assent. He's coming, said Professor McGonagall suddenly, gazing down into the ground's "'the minister, and by the looks of it, he's brought a delegation. "'Can I leave, Professor?' Harry said at once. "'He had no desire at all to see or be interrogated by Rufus Scrimmager tonight.' "'You may,' said Professor McGonagall, and quickly. "'She strode toward the door and held it open for him. "'He sped down the spiral staircase and off along the deserted corridor. "'He had left his invisibility cloak at the top of the astronomy tower, "'but it did not matter.' There was nobody in the corridors to see him pass, not even Filch, Mrs. Norris, or Peeves. He did not meet another soul until he turned into the passage leading to the Gryffindor common room. Is it true? whispered the fat lady as he approached her. Is it really true? Dumbledore? Dead? Yes, said Harry. She let out a wail, and without waiting for the password, swung forward to admit him. As Harry suspected it would be, the common room was jam-packed. The room fell silent as he climbed through the portrait hole. He saw Dean and Seamus sitting in a group nearby. This meant that the dormitory must be empty, or nearly so. Without speaking to anybody, or making eye contact at all, Harry walked straight across the room and through the doors to the boy's dormitory. As he had hoped, Ron was waiting for him, still fully dressed, sitting on his bed. Harry sat down on his own four poster, and for a moment they simply stared at each other. They're talking about closing the school, said Harry. "'Lupin said they would,' replied Ron. "'There was a pause. "'So,' said Ron in a very low voice, "'as though he had thought the furniture might be listening in. "'Did you find one? "'Did you get it? Uh, "'A horcrux?' "'Harry shook his head. "'All that had taken place around that black lake "'seemed like an old nightmare now. "'Had it really happened, and only hours ago?' "'You didn't get it?' said Ron, looking crestfallen. "'It wasn't there?' "'No,' said Harry.' Someone had already taken it and left a fake in its place. Already taken? Wordlessly, Harry pulled the fake locket from his pocket, opened it, and passed it to Ron. The full story could wait. It did not matter tonight. Nothing mattered except the end. The end of their pointless adventure. The end of Dumbledore's life. R.A.B., whispered Ron. But who was that? Don't know, said Harry, lying back on his bed fully clothed and staring blankly upwards. He felt no curiosity at all about R.A.B., He doubted that he would ever feel curious again. As he lay there, he became aware suddenly that the grounds were silent. Fox had stopped singing. And he knew, without knowing how he knew it, that the phoenix had gone, had left Hogwarts for good, just as Dumbledore had left the school, had left the world, had left Harry. And that is chapter 29, The Phoenix Lament. So... I'll go ahead and give you this time chase to kind of give me your thoughts on this chapter some things that stuck out to you and anything else you want to add to it
1: yeah i mean uh i think the biggest thing kind of in this chapter the whole idea is uh everyone really in the whole school is kind of reflecting on what just happened the night before right so bill in in the hospital wing you know molly and lupin hermione ron they're all getting used to the fact just kicking off this chapter that he's really not going to be the same ever again and you know bill he was like that surfer surfer guy man like he was the he was like the bachelor guy like if he was going to be on the bachelor here (laughs) in the muggle world like he was that guy he had the surfer haircut with the earring like, he was known as, like, the top guy. Like, uh, super smart, and now he's, like, scarred for the rest of his you life. You know, one thing um, I wanted to say, too, is that
0: this didn't happen last night. This is still the same night. There has not been a day that's yeah, passed. Yeah, okay, yeah. This is still, so the same th- night. yeah, this is all fresh, man. This hasn't even been a night yet. This is, th- yeah. like, he took right from Dumbledore's body. They went to the hospital wing and, like, saw everybody there. Yeah, man, this is still the same n- night. Like, there wasn't even a, there was no yeah. time to process. It's crazy, man.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah good call yeah we haven't even gotten into the next day yet so yeah you're right 100 percent. yeah so when i say the next night i mean what just happened like yeah. literally just happened but um you know everyone's really processing what's going on everyone's almost still in shock really in utter shock um and w- another thing that was it just it really goes into detail with how the order got their ass kicked <laughs> that we keep talking about like how they got their ass kicked the entire time like why is it that every time they're supposed to do something like literally been trained at grimwald's place by some of the best auroras in the world mad eye moody like all the top honchos and every time they're sent in there to do something awesome Uh, We even had an interesting facts episode just on the background of Tonks and why she was recruited to be an Aurora, because she was topping her class, aced her owls, and took the newts, and uh, she actually was uh, trained in fighting mentors. Why is it you got all these people with these skills, and they're supposed to be so super at the top of their game, and then you can't take on, like, five Death Eaters? (laughs) like getting up a spiral staircase and you just keep stopping and you know Snape they just you know let him walk through there and just see him and assume everything's okay not questioning anybody and then um, you know Hermione really breaks down because she feels like it's her and Luna's fault because they just assumed like Snape was doing his job so they're really taking it on themselves when really if you in my opinion the da has done a lot more than the order of the phoenix has (laughs) so you know just throwing that out there and then uh wrapping kind of everything up here at the same time they're reflecting on you know rab that's gonna play a huge role later on uh that's a huge piece of parchment but at the same time like harry was his final thoughts there when you were wrapping us up in that chapter like he didn't even want to think about it. Like, they're still in such utter shock at what's going on. He doesn't even care that the whole night was a waste in everything they did. And Dumbledore died in vain. Um, because he's still just sitting with the whole um, idea that he's never going to be there again. And we saw how bad he took serious and now he's going to go through like the same similar thing because he just lost the person that was basically like his father, like his second father almost. And then now he's losing someone that's basically like his grandfather or like I call the Godfather, you know? So it's like, dude has nobody. <laughs> you lost your mom. You lost your pop. You lost your grandpappy uncle. And now, uh, granddad just got blasted off the face of the astronomy tower like your luck's luck's running dry man and, and then at the same time did all this for a horcrux <laughs> you get to the, get to the ministry the prophecy gets thrown smashed on the staircase and now you get the horcrux and you have some piece of parchment in there that has been stolen talk about bad luck man and with that uh what do you think about this chapter jay nelly
0: there's a couple things that i think were were pretty important to note like malfoy was wrong because remember he said like there was a member of the order that was dead well good news mm-hmm. is that, like that was not true it was bill he's just badly mangled by <laughs> Fenrir Greyback. but there was a dead death eater who got killed by friendly fire said given that he was death Eater, just throwing killing curses all over the place <laughs> like you know, I ended up hitting his own player, yeah, you know, Friendly fire, man. So on top of, like, literally the Order of the Phoenix got help from the Death Eaters killing the Death Eaters. <laughs> like, the Order of the Phoenix, like, they couldn't even take care of, like, when they were down a Death Eater. Like, it was just really interesting. And my question is, too, is, like, how is the Order <laughs> of the Phoenix? Because let, let's, let's see about who was battling, right? Professor McGonagall, she shows next book exactly how good she is at dueling. Because she goes face-to-face with somebody who's very talented, right? Lupin, like you said. Defense against a dark arts teacher. One of the best ones that have trained him. Has a brilliant mind for it. Apparently he can't do anything. Tonks, a wonderful or She's got a lot of training. She was a very good prodigy coming out of school. So these are very three very talented witches and wizards. <laughs> on top of that, Professor Flitwick is like a the charms master. Yeah. He's been like presiding over the owl examination for the past thirty years. Like you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I just I don't get how not only could they not handle the Death Eaters that came through, but on top of that, how are you going to allow? Children to help fight alongside you. You're like, oh yeah, Ginny, Harry, Hermione, let's get in here, help me out, man. I can't take on these Death Eaters. I need, I need the children's help. Like, how do you need the help from teenagers, man? Like, I don't get it. Like, it's so bad. They like, in what world do you like allow kids to get into a fight to the death at any point in time? Dumbledore would be pissed at the other thing is Like, no, get Luna, Neville, Hermione, Ron out of here man get them out of here keep them to safety but no no yeah yeah you know neville got hurt uh luna and and hermione tried to stop snape and he's like no go take care of flitwick and then they come back like literally they let these teenagers fight their battles with them when anyone else would be like no get the kids to safety Nope, let's just get the kids right into harm's way, and oh, let's not forget to mention that the kids did more than you in the fight. Oh, my lord. Drives me nuts, but anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs>
1: no, no, I... <laughs> you haven't confessed. Oh, uh, <laughs> <this laughs> absurd. You're like a, and then, a fucking snake, you. You're like two different people. <laughs> and then, on top
0: of that, to bring up what we talked about last week in one of the discussions we had post-chapter about the Felix Felicis potion. And why it was, like, you know, what would have happened if they took it at the cave versus where. Well, Ginny kind of tells us, like, hey, like, without, without <laughs> your lucky potion, we would have all been killed. Like, the, the curses kept missing us. Like, so think about if they took the lucky potion to the cave, they come back and the whole order's just dead. <laughs> like, so. <laughs> like <I'm>,
1: everyone's <laughs>
0: dead. It's like, I think it's like, a good thing that they took it when they took it and where they took it at. So, I, I stick with my, my point that I made last week on that one. But anyways, to con- continue there, like. Uh, the, 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 I think it was interesting how Harry described what Dumbledore saw in Snape to trust him because that was a very biased response that's really not exactly why Dumbledore chose to trust Snape and I know that no one really knows it that's all Harry had to go on but still like you can't just throw like yeah Dumbledore said Snape said he was sorry so he's like okay you're cool now like no that's really, that's really <laughs> yeah. not what happened at all but, uh, yes, um, I thought that what else was really cool is Malfoy actually kind of did something really smart. He threw the Proven Instant Darkness part and had the hand of glory that gives light only to the holder. That's pretty fucking yeah, genius, man. Cool. Like, heck yeah, Malfoy. I didn't like him at all throughout the whole series, but he's doing some cool <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah, um, man. You know, I also, think Professor McGonagall kind of blames herself because she's the one that sent for Snape to begin with. But, uh, yes, anyways, can continue on for that. I also thought it was important to mention the part that I kind of took over for uh, during that chapter, which was, like, when Fleur and Definitely. Mrs. Weasley kind of finally came to an uh, understanding with each other. Because remember all the beginning of the Cute. book and the lead-up before cool things happened, like, basically, they, they didn't want Fleur to marry Bill, because they thought, basically, like, Fleur was only in it for maybe the looks, or, like, you know, didn't really love Bill for who Bill was. So Mrs. Weasley like, oh, he was going to be married, and Fleur was like, what do you mean was, motherfucker? No, that's my husband. Yeah. That's my future husband. You are back off. I'm going to take care of him. Give me the ointment. Bitch, it's mine. And then I'm going to put it on his face. And then all of a sudden, they're like, well, I got a <laughs> goblin made tiara for you. Everything's all honky-dory. They hug you. They cry. You know, all fun stuff. But I think that was definitely big enough to, to mention. Also, on top of that fact, speaking on Bill, what's going to happen with him now? We don't really know, but he got mangled. He has a mangled face from getting attacked by Fenrir Greyback. He survived, but now we're kind of left with like, what are the after effects going to be? Is he going to have any sort of issue at all? So that's something to think of. But uh, also, you know, Harry informing McGonagall that Rosemerta is under the Imperius Curse. Maybe this is why the Ministry didn't arrive beforehand. Because I had that question last week: is like, hey, since you know he, she was under the Imperius Curse and Dumbledore told her to inform the Ministry, do you think she just didn't do what Dumbledore asked, or do you think she did and like, the Ministry just took their sweet-ass time? Those are some things I kind of think of. But uh, the last part I'll have before I kind of give it back over to you is just the the talk about closing the school. It's a very reasonable thing to consider, closing the school when, you know, a teacher killed the headmaster. Like, yeah, that's probably something we should talk about a little bit. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. And then, uh, yeah, the Phoenix song is part of my—because the whole whole chapter is called The Phoenix Lament— that's actually my interesting fact that I'll go into today is what the Phoenix Lament was and, like, you know, the stuff behind that. So with that being said, those are my big takeaways from the chapter. I don't know if you want anything else to it or if you want to jump into Chapter 30, but you're going to kind of close us out from here in terms of what's in the contents of the book, man.
1: Yeah, no, that was perfect. I thought you hit it on the head. Um, yeah, my interest—that was actually really a perfect chapter for both of our interesting facts because mine's on the instant darkness powder. So that was— Yep. Uh, yeah, it's— it's a really big chapter it's just so shocking to me and it's almost like appalling like dumbledore personally trained these guys and you can't even like save you can't even save children like felix Felix felices is what saved not to mention, most of the Death Eaters were at the top of the Astronomy Tower anyways, ganging up on Dumbledore without a wand. <laughs> like, over there, acting <laughs> on Malfoy. Like, where the fuck were they? Who the fuck were they really even fighting besides that blonde dude? Like, maybe, like, two people? Like, hey, two different fucking people! You fucking snake you! And, like, like he- here's it. the big thing, too, is Ridiculous. that, like, it wasn't even, like, the
0: best Death Eaters in terms of talent. Like... The best, best death yeah. theaters, I guess it's kind of arguable, but, like, Bellatrix Lestrange is probably one of the most talented dark witches. Like, she wasn't there. She didn't she didn't go, yeah. right? Which, obviously, we mm-hmm. talk about differences next week, but that's kind of a weird shit that the movie did. Anyways, I digress from that. Yeah. But, like, and then also uh, uh, Antonin Dolohov, the other one that kind of, like, he's thought mm-hmm. to have created that one slashing spell that hit Hermione in Order of the Phoenix. Like, those are two of, like, the most talented, like, deadly death eaters, like, they weren't even there. You guys got like the B team Death Eaters, and you couldn't even handle the B team. Oh, like yeah. this is absurd. Oh, sh- so That's
1: absurd. Oh, uh, not. Even, we haven't even gotten into like next book. You know, we get into like the bounty hunters and all that shit. Like they didn't have to fight any of those guys. Like none of that. Like dude. Like it, it's the Golden Trio and Dumbledore's army that have in Dumbledore. Like, it wasn't for them. And now, like, the number one guy just got taken out. I mean, you can argue Snake, but now that, like, he's turned all Taylor Swift bad reputation on everybody. Got a bad reputation. Anyways. I agree, but, like, like, he doesn't
0: really, like, duel anyone. You know what I mean? Like, well, not in this book, but, like, he doesn't really duel anyone. So, like, I agree Snape is probably the most talented, but, like, you don't see him in battle combat, really. You know? Harry (laughs) that's like it I guess oh a a 16 year old a 16 year old we're gonna hang our hat on him beating up a 16 year old on the Hogwarts grounds
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I yeah yeah you're right um yeah yeah you're right you're right that's true I mean I guess I mean you gotta assume you gotta give him some sort of props like he is like I agree I'm just saying
0: the difference is, is that we actually saw the Death Ears I mentioned, like, in action, like, whoop ass. Remember, like, mm-hmm. in the Order of Phoenix, in the Department of Mysteries, they got their ass yeah. kicked before Dumbledore arrived by those, like, you know, badass right. ones I was talking about. Bellatrix is the one who actually shot Sirius through the veal. Like, Dolohov b- b- killed, <laughs> basically killed Ginny and Luna, like, you know, and Hermione. Yeah. Like, dude, like, there's some brutal fucking guys, and those... People weren't there. Like, like I said, they faced the B team Death Eaters, and they couldn't even handle that. And and like, not only were they B team Death Eaters, you had like the A team in terms of like an uh, an accomplished or a Defense Against a Dark Arts teacher that taught Harry almost everything he knew, and Professor McGonagall, who was like a dueling w- wizard, <laughs> like a witch. I should say witch, but like she's like a, like she's supposed to be really strong and, and and like formidable, but apparently we can't take out the B team. I don't know
1: actually no yeah you hit that uh you know we actually talked about that on the interesting facts was like mcgonagall's history there was actually a part where she was recruited by the ministry before working for hogwarts and she wound up quit quitting because she was so known in dueling and like uh stealth and all that stuff so yeah it's just 100 percent. and we've seen her in action in order of the phoenix I mean she didn't do too well <laughs> like Hagrid kicked it. at least we, Hagrid we see her kicked nec- ass like at least Hagrid's yeah. holding his own and he's the one that like keeps to himself so whatever man I mean yeah anything else you want to say on that my man? no other than the last thing I'll say about
0: <laughs> Professor McGonagall is that like we us who have read and seen the book and the movie do see her in action and see her ability mm-hmm. and capability next book we don't want to ruin it for anyone so it's like We're speaking from experience when we say like no she's actually a badass duelist but apparently that that's not enough to handle b-list death eaters so that's the last thing i'll I'll add and i'll (laughs) let you go ahead and and take us away with chapter 30 and close us
1: out to the remainder of the book here sounds good brother uh chapter 30 the white tomb all lessons were suspended all examinations postponed some students were hurried away from hogwarts by their parents over the next couple of days The Patil twins were gone before breakfast on the morning following Dumbledore's death, and Zachariah Smith was escorted from the castle by his haughty-looking father. Seamus Finnegan, on the other hand, refused point-blank to accompany his mother home. They had a shouting match in the entrance hall that had resolved she agreed that he could remain behind for the funeral. She had difficulty in finding a bed in Hogsmeade, Seamus told Harry and Ron, for wizards and witches were pouring into the village. "'preparing to pay their last respects to Dumbledore. "'Some excitement was caused among the younger students "'who had never seen it before. "'When powder blue carriage the size of of a house "'pulled by a dozen giant winged palominos "'came soaring over the sky in the late afternoon "'before the funeral and landed on the edge of the forest, "'Harry watched from a window as the gigantic handsome "'olive-skinned black-haired woman "'descended the carriage steps,' and threw herself into the waiting Hagrid's arms. Meanwhile, a delegation of ministry officials, including the Minister of Magic himself, was being accommodated within the castle. Harry was diligently avoiding contact with any of them. He was sure that sooner or later he would be asking again to account for Dumbledore's last excursion from Hogwarts. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and Ginny were spending all their time together. The beautiful weather seemed to mock them. Harry could imagine how it would have been if Dumbledore had not died, and they had had this time together in the very end of the year. Jenny's examinations finished and the pressure of homework lifted and hour by hour, he put off saying the thing that he knew he must say, doing what he needed to do, what was right to do, because it was too hard to forego his best source of comfort. They visited the hospital wing twice a day. Neville had been discharged, but Bill remained under Madame Pomfrey's care. His scar was were as bad as ever. In truth, he now bore the distinct resemblance to Mad Eye Moody, though thankfully with both eyes and legs. But in personality, he seemed just the same as ever. All that appeared to have changed was that he now had a great liking for very rare steaks. So it's lucky it's marry me, said Fleur happily, plumping up Bill's pillows. Because the British uh, overcooked their meat. I've always said this. I suppose I'm going just to have to accept that he is really going to marry her, sighed Jenny later that evening, as she, Harry, and Ron, and Hermione sat beside the open window with the Gryffindor common room, looking over the twilts' grounds. She's not that bad, said Harry. Ugly, though, he added hastily as Jenny raised her eyebrows, and she let out a reluctant giggle. Well, I suppose if Mum can stand it, I can. Anyone else we know died? Ron asked Hermione, who was uh, perusing the evening prophet. Hermione winced at the forced toughness in her voice. No, she said reprovingly, folding up the newspaper. They're still looking for Snape, but no sign. Of course there wasn't, said Harry, who had become angry every time the subject cropped up. They won't find Snape. Till they find Voldemort, and seeing as they never managed to do that in all the time, "'I'm going to bed, young Jenny. "'I haven't been sleeping that well since, well, I can do with some sleep.' "'She kissed Harry, Ron looked away pointedly, "'waved at the other two and departed for the girls' dormitories. "'The moment that the door had closed behind her, "'Hermione leaned forward uh, toward the door and had closed behind, uh, "'toward Harry with the most Hermione-ish look on her face. "'Harry!' I found something out this morning in the library. R.A.B., said Harry, sitting up straight. He did not feel the way he had so often felt before. Excited, curious, and bearing to get the bottom of the mystery, he simply knew that the task which was discovering the truth about the real Horcrux had to be completed before he could move long, move a little farther along the dark and winding path stretching ahead of him. The path that he had and Dumbledore had set upon together, which he knew you would have to journey alone there might still be as many as four horcruxes out there somewhere and each which need to be found and eliminated before there was even the possibility that Voldemort could be killed he kept reciting their names to himself as though by listening them, listening them he could bring them within reach the locket the cup the snake something of Gryffindors or Ravenclaws the locket cup, the snake, something of the like Gryffindors or claws The mantra seemed to pulse through Harry's mind as he fell asleep at night. And his dreams were thick with cups, lockets, and mysterious objects he could not quite reach, though Dumbledore hopefully offered Harry a rope ladder that turned to snakes. And the moment he began to climb, he had shown Hermione the note inside the locket the morning after Dumbledore's death and although she had not immediately recognized the initials as belonging to some obscure wizard about whom she had been reading, she had since been rushing off to the library a little bit more often than was strictly necessary for somebody who had no homework to do. No, she said sadly. I've been trying, Harry, but I haven't found anything. There are a couple of reasonably well-known wizards with those initials, Rosalind Antigon, Bungs, Rupert Axberger, Brook Stanton, but they don't seem to fit at all. Judging by the note, the person who stole it, Horcrux, knew Voldemort. And I can't find a shred of evidence that Bungs or Axbanger ever had anything to do with him. No, actually, it's about, well, well, Snape. She looked nervous even saying the name again. What about him? Asked Harry heavily, slumping back into his chair. Well, it's just that I was sort of right about the Half-Blood Prince business, she said tentatively. Do you have to rub it in, Hermione? How do you think I feel about it now? No, no, Harry, I didn't mean that, she said hastily looking around to check, and they were not being overheard. It's just that I was right about Eileen Prince, once owning the book. You see, she was Snape's mother. I thought she was much of a looker, said Ron. Hermione ignored her. I was going through the rest of the old prophets, and there was a tiny announcement about Eileen Prince marrying a man called Tobias Snape. And then later, an announcement saying that she'd give birth to a a murderer, spat Harry. Well, yes, said Hermione, so I was sort of right. Snape must have been proud of being a half a prince, you see. Tobias Snape was a muggle from what it said in the prophet. Yeah, that fits, said Harry. He'd play play up the pureblood side so he'd get in with Lucius Malfoy and the rest of them. He's just like Voldemort, pureblood mother, muggle father, ashamed of his parentage, trying to make himself feared using the dark arts, gave himself an impressive new name, Lord Voldemort, the half-blood prince. How could Dumbledore have missed? He broke off, looking onto the window he could not stop himself dwelling upon Dumbledore's inexcusable trust in Snape but Hermione had just inadvertently reminded him he and Harry had been taken in just the same in spite of the increasingly nastiness of those scribbled spells he had refused to believe oh the boy who had been so clever who had helped him so much helped him it was an almost unendurable thought now I still don't get why he didn't turn you in for using the book, said Ron. He must have known where you were getting it all from. He knew, said Harry bitterly. He knew when I was using Sectum Simpra. He didn't really need legilimency. He might even have known before then with Slughorn talking about how brilliant I was at potions. Shouldn't have left his old book in the bottom of that cupboard, should he? But why didn't he turn you in? I don't think he wanted to associate himself with that book, said Hermione. I don't think Dumbledore would have liked it very much if he'd known, and if Snape had pretended it hadn't been his, Slughorn would have recognized that his writing at once. Anyways, the book was left in Snape's old classroom, and I'll bet Dumbledore knew his mother was called Prince. I should have known the book to Dumbledore. I should have known the book to Dumbledore, said Harry. All that time he was showing me "'how Voldemort was evil even when he was at school, and I had proof Snape was too? "'Evil is a strong word,' said Hermione quietly. "'You were the one who kept telling me the book was dangerous. "'I'm trying to say, Harry, that you're putting too much blame on yourself. "'I thought the prince seemed to have a nasty sense of humor, "'but I would have never guessed he was a potential killer. "'None of us could have guessed Snape would, you know,' said Ron silence fell between them each of them lost in their own thoughts but harry was sure they like him were thinking about the following morning when dumbledore's body would be laid to rest he had never attended a funeral before there had been nobody to bury when sirius had died he did not know what to expect and was a little worried about what he might see about what he would feel he wondered whether dumbledore's death would be more real to him once it was over Though he had moments when the horrible fact of it Threatened to overwhelm him There were blank stretches of numbness Where despite the fact that nobody was talking about Anything else in the whole castle He still found it difficult to believe That Dumbledore had really gone Admittedly he had not As he had with serious looked desperately For some kind of loophole Some way that Dumbledore would come back He felt in his pocket for the cold chain Of the fake horcrux which he now carried with him everywhere not as a talisman but as a reminder of what it had cost and what remained still to do Harry rose early to pack the next day the Hogwarts Express would be leaving in an hour after the funeral downstairs he found the mood of the Great Hall subdued everybody was wearing their dress robes no one seemed very hungry Professor McGonagall had left the throne-like chair in the middle of the staff table empty Hagrid's chair was deserted too Harry thought that perhaps he had not been able to face breakfast, but Snape's place had been unceremoniously filled by Rufus Scrimmage. War. Harry avoided his yellowish eyes as they scanned the hall. Harry had an uncomfortable feeling that Scrimgeour was looking for him. Among Scrimgeour's entourage, Harry spotted the red hair and horn-rimmed glasses of a Percy Weasley. Ron gave no sign and he was aware of Percy apart from stabbing pieces of Kipper with unwanted venom. Over at the Slytherin table, Crabbe and Goyle were muttering together. Hulking boys though they were, they were looked oddly lonely without the tall, pale figure of Malfoy between them, bossing them around. Harry had not spared Malfoy much thought; his unanimity was all for Snape. But he had not forgotten the fear in Malfoy's voice at the top of the tower, nor the fact that he had lowered his wand before the other Death Eaters arrived. Harry did not believe that Malfoy would have killed Dumbledore. He despised Malfoy still for his infatuation with the dark arts, but now the teeniest drop of pity mingled with his dislike. Where Harry wondered, was Malfoy now? And what was Voldemort making him do under the threat of killing him and his parents? Harry's thoughts were interrupted by a nudge in the ribs from Ginny. Professor McGonagall had risen to her feet, and the mournful hum in the hall died away at once. It's nearly time, she said. Please follow your head houses out into the grounds, Gryffindors, after me. They filed out from behind their benches in near silence. Harry glimpsed Slughorn at the head of the Slytherin column. Wearing magnificent long emerald green robes embroidered with silver, he had never seen Professor Sprout. Head of the Hufflepuffs looking so clean, there was not a single patch on her hat. When they reached the entrance hall, they found Madame Pence standing beside Filch. She in a thick black veil that fell to her knees he in an ancient black suit and tie reeking of mothballs they were heading as Harry saw when he stepped out onto the stone steps from the front doors towards the lake the warmth of the sun caressed his face as they followed Professor McGonagall and the silence to the place where hundreds of chairs had been set out in rows an aisle ran down the center of them there was a marble table standing in front of all the chairs facing it "'It was the most beautiful summer day. "'An extraordinary assortment of people "'had already settled into the half of the chairs. "'Shabby and smart and old and young, "'most Harry did not recognize, but a few he did, "'including members of the Order of the Phoenix. "'Kingsley Shacklebolt, Mad-Eye Moody, Tonks. Her hair miraculously returned to the vividest pink. "'Remus Lupin, with whom she seemed to be holding hands. "'Mr. and Miss Weasley, Bill supported by Floor, followed by fred and george who are wearing jackets of black dragon skin then there is madame maxine who took up two and a half chairs on her own tom the landlord of the leaky cauldron in london arabella fig harry squib neighbor harry bass player from wizard wizarding group the weird sisters ernie prang driver of the night bus madame malking of the robe shop in Diagon Alley and some people whom Harry merely knew by sight, such as the barman at the Hogshead and the witch who pushed the trolley on the Hogwarts Express. The castle ghosts were there too, barely visible in bright sunlight, discernible only when they moved, shimmering insubstantially on gleaming air. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and Ginny filled the seats in the end of the row beside the lake. People were whispering to each other. It sounded like a breeze in grass but the bird song was louder and f- louder by far. The crowd continued to swell with a great rush of affection uh, for both of them. Harry saw Neville being helped into a seat by Luna. Neville and Luna alone of the DA had responded to Hermione's summons the night that Dumbledore had died, and Harry knew why. They were the ones who had missed DA the most, probably the ones who had checked their coins regularly in hope that there would be another meeting. Cornelius Fudge walked past towards the front rows, his expression miserable. Twirling his green bowler hat as usual, Harry next recognized Rita Skeeter, who was infuriated to see, had a notebook clutched in her red-talon hand, and then with a worst jolt of fury, Dolores Umbridge. An unconvincing expression of grief upon her toad-like face, a black velvet bow set atop her iron-colored curls. At the sight of the centaur, Ferenz, who was standing like a sentinel near the water's edge? She gave a start and scurried hastily into a seat, a good distance away. The staff was seated at last. Harry he could see Scrimgeour looking grave and dignified in the front row with Professor McGonagall. He wondered whether Scrimgeour or any of the these important people were really sorry that Dumbledore was dead. But then he heard music—strange, otherworldly music. Strange, other "'He forgot his dislike of the ministry "'and looking around for the source of it. "'He was not the only one. "'Many heads were turning, searching, a little alarmed. "'And there,' whispered Jenny in Harry's ear, "'and he saw them in the clear green sunlit water "'inches below the surface, "'reminding him horribly of the Emphiri, "'a chorus of people singing in a strange language "'he did not understand, "'their pallid faces rippling, "'their purplish hair flowing all around them, The music made the hair on Harry's neck stand up, and yet it was not unpleasant. It spoke very clear of loss and despair. As he looked down into the wild faces of the singers, he had the feeling that at least they were sorry for Dumbledore's passing. Then Jenny nudged him again, and he looked around. Hagrid was walking slowly up the aisle between the chairs. He was crying quite silently, his face gleaming with tears and his arms wrapped in the purple velvet spangled with golden stars, was what Harry knew to be Dumbledore's body. A sharp pain arose in Harry's throat at the sight. For a moment, the strange music and the knowledge of Dumbledore's body was so close it seemed to take all the warmth from the day. Ron looked white in shock. Tears were falling thick and fast into both Ginny and Hermione's laps. They could not clearly see what was happening in front. Hagrid seemed to have placed the body carefully upon the table. Now he retreated down the aisle, blowing his nose with loud trumpeting noises that drew scandalized looks from someone, including Harry, saw Dolores' umbrage. But Harry knew that Dumbledore would not have cared. He tried to make a friendly gesture to Hagrid as as he passed, but Hagrid's eyes were so swollen it was a wonder he could see where he was going. Harry glanced at the back road of which Hagrid was heading and realized what was guiding him. For there, dressed in a jacket and trousers, each the size of a small marquee, was the giant Grop. His great, ugly, boulder-like head bowed, dockle, almost human. Hagrid sat down next to his half-brother, and Grop patted Hagrid hard on the head, so that his chair legs sank into the ground. Harry had a wonderful, momentary urge to laugh, but then the music stopped, and he turned to face the front again. A little tufty hated man haired man a little tufty haired man in plain black robes had got to his feet and stood now in front of Dumbledore's body. Harry could not hear what he was saying. Odd words floated back to them over the hundreds of heads. Nobility of spirit, intellectual contribution, greatness of heart it did not mean very much. It had little to do with Dumbledore, as Harry had known him. He suddenly remembered Dumbledore's idea of a few words. Nitwit, oddment, blubber, and tweak. And again had to suppress a grin. <laughs> what was the matter with him? There was a soft splashing noise to his left, and he saw that the merpeople had broken the surface to listen to. He remembered Dumbledore crouching at the water's edge two years ago, very close to where Harry's now sat, conversing in murmish with the mere chieftainess. "'Harry wondered where Dumbledore had learned Murmish. "'There was so much he had never asked him, "'so much he should have said. "'And then without warning, it swept over him, "'the dreadful truth, "'more completely and undeniably than it had until now. "'Dumbledore was dead, gone. "'He clutched the cold locket in his hand so tightly that it hurt, "'but he could not prevent hot tears spilling from his eyes.' He looked away from Jenny and the others and stared out over the lake, toward the forest as the little man in the black droned on. There was movement among the trees. The centaurs had come to pay their respects true respects to. They did not move into the open, but Harry saw them standing quite still, half hidden in shadow, watching the wizards, their bows hanging at their sides, their bows hanging at their sides. And Harry remembered his first nightmarish trip into the forest. The first time he had ever encountered the thing that was with Voldemort and how he had faced them faced them and how he had and how he and Dumbledore had discussed fighting a losing battle not long thereafter thereafter it was important Dumbledore said to fight and fight again and keep fighting for only then could evil be kept at bay though never quite eradicated and Harry saw very clearly As he sat there under the hot sun, how people who cared about him had stood in front of him one by one. His mother, his father, his godfather, and finally Dumbledore. All determined to protect him, but now that was over. He could not let anyone else stand between him and Voldemort. He must abandon forever the illusion he ought to have lost at the age of no one. That the shelter of a parent's arms meant that nothing could hurt him. There was no waking from his nightmare, no comforting whisper, in the dark that he he was safe, really. That it was all in his imagination. The last and greatest of his protectors had died, and he was more alone than he had ever been before. The little man in black had stopped speaking at last and resumed his seat. Harry waited for somebody else to get to their feet. He expected speeches probably from the minister but nobody moved then several people screamed bright white flames had erupted around dumbledore's body and the table upon which it lay higher and higher they rose obscuring the body white smoke spiraled into the air and made strange shapes harry thought for one heart-stopping moment that he saw a phoenix joyfully into the blue but the next second the fire had vanished. In its place was a white marble tomb encasing Dumbledore's body and the table on which he had rested. There were a few more cries of shock as a shower of arrows soared through the air, but they fell far short of the crowd. It was Harry who knew the centaur's tribute. He saw them turn tail and disappear back into the cool trees. Likewise, the merpeople sank slowly back into the green water and were lost from view. Harry looked at Jenny, Ron, and Hermione. Ron's face was screwed up through the sunlight were blinding him. Hermione's face was glazed with tears but Jenny was no longer crying. She met Harry's gaze with the same hard blazing look that he had seen when she had hugged him after winning the Quidditch Cup in absence and he knew that at that moment they understood each other perfectly and then when he told her what he was going to do now she would not say be careful or don't do it But accept his decision, because she would not have expected anything less of him. And so, he steeled himself to say what he had known he must say ever since Dumbledore had died. Jenny, listen, he said very quietly as the buzz conversation grew louder around them and people began to get to their feet. I can't be involved with you anymore. We've got to stop seeing each other. We can't be together. She said with an oddly twisted smile. Is it for some stupid, terrible reason, isn't it? It's been like... Stupid noble reason, not terrible. noble. <laughs> stupid noble reason. Wow, that would be funny if it was a terrible reason. Yeah. Uh, st- it's for some stupid, stupid, terrible reason. There's no reason you should be tracking down those war is it for some stupid, noble reason, isn't it? It's been like like something out of some someone else's life these last few weeks with you, said Harry. But I can't. We can't. I've got things to do alone now. She did not cry. She simply looked at him. Voldemort uses people his enemies are close to. He's already used you as bait once, and that was just because you're my best friend's sister think how much danger you'll be in if we kept this up he'll know he'll find out he'll try and get me through you what if i don't care said jenny fiercely i care said harry how do you think i'd feel if this was your funeral and it was my fault she looked away from him over the lake i never really gave up on you she said not really i always hoped "'Hermione told me to get on with life, maybe go out with some other people, relax a bit around you, "'because I never used to be able to talk if you were in the room, remember? "'And she thought, you might take a bit more notice if I was a bit more myself. "'Smart girl, that Hermione,' <laughs> said Harry, trying to smile. "'I just wish I'd ask you sooner. We could have had ages, months, years, maybe.' "'But you've been too busy saving the wizarding world,' (laughs) said Ginny, half-laughing. "'Well, I, I can't say I'm surprised. I knew this would happen in the end. "'I knew you wouldn't be happy unless you were hunting Voldemort. "'Maybe that's why I like you so much.' "'Harry could not bear to hear these things, "'nor did he think his resolution would hold if he remained sitting beside her. "'Ron,' he saw, was now holding Hermione, stroking her hair, "'while she sobbed into his shoulders.' Her shoulder, his shoulder tears dripping from the end of his own long nose with a miserable gesture Harry got up, turned his back on Ginny and on Dumbledore's tomb and walked away around the lake moving felt much more bearable than sitting still just as setting out as soon as possible to track down the horcruxes and kill Voldemort would feel better than waiting to do it Harry! he turned, Rufus Scrimmageor was limping rapidly towards him around the bank leaning on the walking stick. I've been hoping to have a word. Do you mind if I walk a little way with you? No, said Harry indifferently and set off again. Harry, this was a dreadful tragedy. Tragedy, said Scrimgeour quietly. I cannot tell you how appalled I was to hear of it. Dumbledore was a great wizard. We had our disagreements as you know, but no one knows better than I What do you want? asked Harry flatly. Scrimgeour looked annoyed. But as before, hastily modified the expression to one of the sorrowful understanding. "You are, of course, devastated," he said. "I know that you are very close to Dumbledore. I think you may have been his favorite pupil ever. The bond between the two of you. What do you want?" Harry repeated, coming to a halt. Scrimgeour stopped too, leaned on his stick, and stared at Harry. His expression shrewd now. "The word is that you were with him when he left the school the night he died." Whose word? said Harry somebody stupefied a death eater on the top tower before Dumbledore died there were also two broomsticks up there the ministry can add two and two Harry glad to hear it said Harry well where I went with Dumbledore and what we do is my business he didn't want people to know such loyalty is admirable of you said Scrimgeour, who seemed to be restraining his irritation with difficulty but Dumbledore is gone "'Harry, he's gone. "'He will only be gone from the school when none here are loyal to him,' said Harry, smiling in spite of himself. "'My dear boy, even Dumbledore cannot return from the—' "'I am not saying he can. "'You wouldn't understand, but I've got nothing to tell you.' Scrimgeour hesitated, then said, in what was evidently supposed to be a tone of delicacy, "'The Ministry can offer you all sorts of protection, you know, Harry.' I would be delighted to place a couple of my auroras at your service. Harry he laughed. <laughs> Voldemort wants to kill me himself, and auroras won't stop him. So thanks for the offer, but no thanks. So, said Scrimmageor, his cold voice now. The request I made to you at Christmas? What request? Oh, yeah. The one where I tell the world about what a great job you're do- doing in exchange for-, for raising everyone's morale? Snap Scrimgeour. Here he considered him for a moment. Release Dan Shumpike yet? Scrimmageore turned a nasty purple color, highly reminiscent of Uncle Vernon. I see you are. Dumbledore's man through and through, said Harry. That's right. Scrimidore glared at him for another moment and then turned and limped away. Without another word, Harry could see Percy and the rest of the ministry delegation waiting for him, casting nervous glances at the sobbing Hagrid and Grop, who were still in their seats ron and hermione were hurrying towards harry passing scrimmage or going in the opposite direction harry turned and walked slowly on waiting for them to catch up which they finally did in the shade of the beech tree under which they had sat in happier times what did cr- Scrimmajor want hermione whispered. same as he wanted at christmas shrugged harry wanted me to give him inside information on dumbledore and be the minister's new poster boy Ron seemed to struggle with himself for a moment, and then he said loudly to Hermione, "'Look, let me go back and hit Percy.' (laughs) "'No,' she said, firmly grabbing his arm. "'It'll make me feel better,' Harry laughed. Even Hermione grinned a little, though her smile faded as she looked up at the castle. "'I can't bear the idea that we might never come back,' she said softly. "'How can Hogwarts close?' "'Maybe it won't,' said Ron." We're not in any more danger here than we're at home, are we? Everywhere's the same now. I'd even say Hogwarts is safer. There are more wizards inside to defend the place. What do you reckon, Harry? I'm not coming back, even if it does reopen, said Harry. Ron gaped at him, but Hermione said sadly, I knew you were going to say that, but then what will you do? I'm going back to the Dursleys once more, because Dumbledore wanted me to, said Harry. But it'll be a short visit, then I'll be gone for good. But where will you go if you don't come back to school? I thought I might go to Godric's Hollow, Harry muttered. He had had the idea in his head ever since the night of Dumbledore's death. For me, it all started there, all of it. I've just got a feeling I need to go there. And I can visit my parents' graves. I'd like that. And then what? said Ron. Then I've got to track down the rest of the Horcruxes, haven't I? said Harry. His eyes upon Dumbledore's white tomb reflected in the water on the other side of the lake. That's what he wanted me to do. That's why he told me about them. If Dumbledore was right, and I'm sure he was, there are still four of them out there. I've got to find them and destroy them, then I've got to go after the seventh, a bit of Voldemort's soul, the bit that's still in his body, and I'm the one who's going to kill him. And if I meet Severus Snape along the way, he added, so much the better for me, so much the worse for him. There was a long silence the crowd had almost dispersed now, the stragglers giving the monumental figure of Grop a wide berth as he cuddled Hagrid. "'whose howls of grease were still echoing across the water. "'We'll be there, Harry,' said Ron. "'What?' "'At your aunt and uncle's house,' said Ron. "'And then we'll go with you wherever you're going.' "'No,' said Harry quickly. "'He had not counted on this. "'He had meant them to understand that he was undertaking the most dangerous journey alone. "'You said to us once before,' said Hermione quietly, "'that there was a time to turn back if we want to.' We've had that time, haven't we? We're with you if whatever happens, said Ron. But, mate, you're going to have to come around my mom and dad's house before we do anything else. Even Godric's, hol- Godric's Hollow. Why? Bill and Fleur's wedding, remember? Harry looked at him, startled. The idea that anything as normal as a wedding could still exist seemed incredible and yet wonderful. "'Yeah, we shouldn't miss that,' he said finally. His hand closed automatically around the fake horcrux. But in spite of everything, in spite of the dark and twisting path he saw stretching ahead for himself, in spite of the final meeting with Voldemort he knew must come, whether in a month, in a year, or in ten, he felt his heart lift at the thought that there was still one last golden day of peace left to enjoy with Ron and Hermione.' And that is it. Um, so yeah, I'll let you take it away from here. With I'll let you start on your thoughts on that chapter as everything's kind of wrapping up here. And of course, Dumbledore is officially laid to rest at this point, man.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I want to mention, because like Hermione kind of annoys me a little bit by trying to rub it in Harry's face about like Eileen Prince and like how it was Snape's. Mom and Snape's dad was a Muggle. Here's the thing: Harry <laughs> was giving them both an idea of what Malfoy was, and no one wanted to hear him. And he didn't rub it in their face when he was like, "Told you, Malfoy was a Death Eater." This whole damn book, from the day on the Hogwarts Express train. So I just figured that that actually played way less of a role than it should have. Of like Harry knowing Malfoy was a Death Eater before anybody else. Like he had told them about it well ago, but he wasn't rubbing it in his face, but Hermione just has to be a little know-it-all and be like, well, Harry, I was kind of right about the Half-Blood Prince, you see? So, <laughs> anyways, I thought that was <clears throat> something I definitely wanted to uh, to highlight. Uh, all the people that came to pay their respects to Dumbledore, <laughs> like you kind of start yeah, to wonder cool. which people are there because they genuinely respect Dumbledore, and the ones that are there just to kind of show face, some, such as Dolores Umbridge, mm-hmm and Rita Skeeter and even the minister himself like they didn't like Screaming Dumbledore they're just there to say because they they recognize how great of a wizard Dumbledore was so they knew how it would look if they didn't show up so they were they were only there for I not want to say the photo op but they were there for appearances only they weren't there because they really cared that Dumbledore was gone so I wanted to definitely right. talk about that thought it was also funny how that Bill was described as having terrible scars, and he actually kind of resembled Mad-Eye Moody, but with both his egg- legs and eyes, so I thought that was a pretty cool depiction. Um, you know, I, I, I just think I was kind of weird, too, that I knew this. I don't know if she meant it to be a secret, but the minute that I saw what the initials R.A.B. were when I read the book the first time, I knew exactly who it was. Like, there that, that wasn't yeah, really a big thing, too. but the fact that, like, like they uh started like putting out some weird people's names of like who it possibly could be but they didn't have a type of Voldemort like Hermione <laughs> in that library i just thought that was a little yeah. unnecessary you know trying to add suspense to it but whatever it is what it is um also the fact that snape like they like, he uh snape didn't turn harry in over the half-blood prince book because he would have caught because loghorn would have recognized snape's handwriting and Dumbledore would have known his mom's last name was Prince, so, like, he's kind of... He would have been screwed. Like, you know, they would have realized, like... Yeah. <laughs> Dumbledore would have been like, bro, you can't be having your book laying around that helps kill people, man. You gotta stop that, <laughs> you know? So, I thought that, <laughs> that was interesting.
1: That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, That's great. Harry
0: has a little bit of pity for Malfoy, kind of realizing a situation. Like, dang, like, I don't think Malfoy was gonna kill him. Like, you had no choice, so... I wonder what else, like... Voldemort's gonna have Malfoy doing under the threat of killing his whole family so it's kind of nice to see here you're appreciating the situation that his arch enemy is in I guess if you will um yeah sad that only Luna and Neville were the people the DA who still like they're just like the ones that are friendless and how they were just kind of waiting on the call to answer and you know they
1: were the only two that were yeah. there uh grop being which Neville sp- sucked <laughs> Except oh. for like the ministry when he ah. saved the day. But he was Look. like the worst one there. I'm surprised he's the one always wanting to go to the meetings, man. I know. And he
0: wasn't even that great <laughs> in, the, in the ministry either. But here's the thing. He always shows up. And honestly, I think next book he gets a little bit of his 15 minutes, you know. But uh, Yeah, you're right. I- you're right. I thought it was cool, too, that they mentioned Grop is almost... Like, he said it's almost human-like now. Like, he was behaving like in almost like a normal setting. So when Hagrid was telling them that like Grop's improved a ton, he wasn't lying, Gropp. like They say he really hmm. was uh, characterized as almost human-like. Um, Harry breaks up with Ginny. That's obviously a big deal because that's yeah, the, his first romance that... Yeah. Uh, after Cho Chang, I should say. That's no, his very first one. But the one that we kind of have an idea that's meant to last or at least makes sense in the terms of putting characters and supporting characters together uh, they they break up that's a big key deal the minister again tries to get Harry into like the whole, oh our Aurors can protect you and Harry was like, where were your bitch ass ors when I was fighting these damn Death Eaters <laughs> you know, so anyway yeah, exactly. he basically says thanks but no thanks to the minister um, your favorite part, Harry decides he's not going back to Hogwarts regardless of what happens with the school yeah. if it reopens or not and then uh, yeah. And the big foreshadow of him mentioning, he's going to be going to Godric's hollow. That's going to come up really big in the next book. And then the last one too, bill and fewer's wedding is also a little bit of foreshadow. Cause some stuff goes down there too. So those are some of the big takeaways yeah. that I had at the end of that, uh, at the end of the book and the chapter itself. So tell me a little bit about your takeaways before we get into our plot holes and the rest of the stuff that we've got planned for the show.
1: Yeah. I mean, mine were pretty much the exact same. Um, not to bring up too many differences, but this was, like, one big problem I had with the film was, like, you know, that's a big moment. We'll get into this next week, but the fact, like, Harry's breaking up with Jenny, that's supposed to be the whole idea of, you know, he cares about her so much that he doesn't want her to be put in harm's way, and he realizes, finally, like you know every year it's a problem <laughs> like he will never be out of harm's way until he finishes this and this has to be finished um and that's why it's so significant if like even if they do reopen i'm not coming back and then of course Ron and Hermione that have been there since the beginning like stick with him on this like it's always been about these three from the beginning no matter who's been added no matter who has come and gone it's always been about the trio uh, from the beginning, all the way from Sorcerer's Stone, and it's great to see that they're going to ride it out to the end um, and see it through, and I think it's such a great moment Godric's Hollow, everything's coming full circle now Um, this is where it started this is where the second Wizarding War started with the boy who lived and now, uh, you know we're going to see how it all ends in the words of Never Back Down this is where this ends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did he, Have you ever seen that movie Never Back Down, by the way? I'm sure yes. you have. <laughs> A couple times. Yeah. Remember, he's <laughs> on the floor of the bathroom. He's like, you think I'm impressed? Not even one little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, I think all the really impactful moments to me, you already touched on. Uh, so that was great. I uh, just, it's... It's one of those books that leaves you, like I still remember when I finished reading it for the first time, that's why I was so stoked uh, for Hollows to come out, because I think it was, it was what, probably like four years between this book and Hollows, because Hollows came out, what, 2006, no, sorry, 2007, 2007, 2007?
0: yeah, and and this came
1: out in 2005, there's only two years between it. Okay, gotcha, two years. Um, but yeah, so it, yeah, no, I think you hit everything on the head there. Um, you want to go ahead with your interesting fact or do the no, plot, we'll holes? Do, uh, plot holes plot hole
0: first? Yeah. Plot holes first then probably our rankings, uh, after that, and then we'll get into yeah. interesting facts is kind of cool. what I was thinking there. So I only had one plot hole. Uh, this is going on page 597. You guys, if we have flipped to page 597, guys. I'll go ahead and read this to you. It's the second paragraph. Uh, he seized Malfoy by the scruff of the neck and forced him through the door ahead of the rest. Greyback and the squat brother and sister followed the latter, both panting excitedly. As they vanished through the door, Harry realized he could move again. What was now holding him paralyzed against the wall was not magic, but horror and shock. He threw the invisibility cloak aside as the brutal, face death, faced Death Eater was the last to leave the towers disappearing through the door. What I meant, though, I, why I highlighted that there is because he threw his invisibility cloak off to the side at the astronomy tower. Then later on, he said he even re- recollects how he there. There was no reason that he needed to worry about being out of bed, out of hours. That his invisibility cloak was still up at the top of the astronomy tower. Yeah. At no point in time in this book does it does it mention him going back to retrieve that invisibility cloak. So then I did a little bit of research and I actually screenshotted this. And this is one of those other ones where it's just kind of like the Marauders map after Goblet of Fire. It's just presumed he goes back and gets it. Right here it says, Albus Dumbledore ordered Harry to wear the cloak during their trip to the Horcrux cave in 1997. Harry witnessed Dumbledore's death while immobilized under the cloak. He left the cloak at the top of the Astronomy Tower and presumably retrieved it later. So, again, without any sort of real finality to it, we just have to, as readers, assume... That this happens, so that's the only one that I really that really stuck out to me. What do
1: you have that you saw as potential plot holes or discrepancies here? That was actually the same one. <laughs> that was it. I was just like I didn't recall him ever going back to get that ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just assumed. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I guess like you said, you just kind of got to assume. That was the only one I saw that was a plot hole really so um
0: yeah that was thing the only is, one it is i a, found. yeah and the thing is it is a plot hole too because the invisibility cloak is very very important to the storyline especially when we find out about certain objects next book like it's not something we can just skim past like oh he just left it there you can get it like no this isn't a very important article of clothing <laughs> here very important object like this isn't just something we can just skate past but
1: Yes, though I'm glad we're that we're on the same page about the plot holes. Oh yeah, sorry, and we'll bring up differences next week, but involving objects with one of the objects, they basically did that. Is <laughs> <So> what happened. <laughs> we'll get yeah. into that next week. Leave you on a little cliffhanger there, but yeah, I mean, no, sure. no, you you hit that on the head because I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> I just assumed, I guess, he went back up there and got it, but it's kind of creepy. <laughs> walk back up there and you're like mm, <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyways but uh, yeah, man we haven't done any rankings in a while it's been a minute it's
0: been a second man it's been a second yeah let's get into our top 5 magical creatures of Half-Blood Prince I'll, we'll, we'll like guys what we always do with our rankings we start from our number 5 work our way up to number 1 so with that man I'll go ahead and let you take your number 5 choice and I'll do mine and we'll kind of alternate until we both get to our number 1
1: yeah man it worked out that i read that chapter because i put winged palominos <laughs> i looked them up they're uh basically like big horses um which we've kind of gotten like glimpses of things like that like the abraxans and stuff and goblet of fire with the carriages well these they yeah, these big, were the
0: abraxans yeah. these these were the abraxans the one there because I, I have them on mine too they, these are the abraxan winged horses the bobans carriage
1: gotcha okay yeah 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 Yeah, where they were using the carriage, i assume so because i assumed that was where uh you know hagrid's girl (laughs) was stepping out of that (laughs) carriage but yeah you know um but yeah so i put the wing pal and minos i just think they're cool looking um almost like pegasus you know from hercules so uh that's what i put for number five man what about you brother
0: yeah i mean i it's funny because this is kind of very similar to Order in the fact that it's very tough to put a great list of magical creatures together just simply because there was yeah. <laughs> very, very limited ones involved. But uh, those are mm-hmm. on my list. They're a little higher up, though. Now, my number five that I started my list out of number five for me was Pygmy Puff, like the Pygmy Puffs. Ginny, uh, okay. she had that uh, Arnold, the Pygmy Puff. What they are are miniature puffskins, which is a magical creature. They're kind of like cute and cuddly. Yeah. Um, you know, the, but Fred and George sold like the mini versions of them. If you guys kind of think about like any sort of mini breed of a dog, there's usually the generic breed and then like they, you know, how they make it miniature. They, they breed them to be that size. So that's what uh, the pygmy puffs are. They're miniature puffskins, and yeah, they, they come in ranked number five for me again, solely because there was not a whole lot of choosing to do. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my uh, number five and I'll let you go ahead with your number four.
1: Yeah, man, I put uh, Snargaloffs <laughs> as my number four. So I guess they're. I assume I. Are I think creature. Aren't those plants creatures? though? I, I, was yeah, about I guess plants. they're I plants. I I considered magical creatures because they had the like, uh, like they had the vines that were like uh, they were even in the movie for a little bit, but like the mystical vines and they had those tube things. I guess maybe they're. Not technically. I would call them magical creatures. <laughs> magical plant creature. Yeah, if bow truckles are magical creatures, then these qualify, in my opinion. We're gonna let it slide. <laughs> yeah. We'll let it slide. We'll 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 let we'll it slide. We'll let it slide. Yeah. Um uh, but they had the green pulsing pods. That were the sides of grapefruits. <laughs> so like, uh, and they resembled the green tubers and had like the tentacle thorns. So I thought that was cool because I guess like they could it reminded me of like a science lab, almost like when Ron was getting attacked in the brain room. I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. So uh, same thing. You know, it's kind of hard to put like a really top list together. So they came in at number four on my list. Awesome. What about you, my man? Uh, number no- four. N-
0: number four on my list. This is something that like I had to go back and like back to one of the earlier chapters and find because I was having trouble. But mm-hmm. this is actually a very cool. One. This would have made my list of, even if this had a bunch of uh, magical creatures. And uh, my number four is the nogtail. Now the nogtail yeah. was mentioned in the Slug Club when he's on like, Cormac McLagan said like him and his uh, mm-hmm. uncle or father whoever it was would go hunting. For Nogtails. So, what I did is I looked up what Nogtails were, and let me give you guys a brief description about Nogtails. The Nogtail was a demon resembling a stunted piglet with black, narrow eyes and thick, stubby tail and long legs. They are a triple X on the Ministry of Magic Beast classification. Uh, they're native to Europe, Russia, North America, and South America, and uh, they are. Uh, they are fast and hard to catch. The only way to make sure the Nogtails would not come back was to chase away with a pure white dog. The pest subdivision of the Ministry of Magic's Department for Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures maintained a pack of a dozen albino bloodhounds specifically for this purpose. And some people also hunted Nogtails for recreation. For example, Tiberius took his nephew Cormac McLaggen hunting for Nogtails in Norfolk. So, Nogtails came in at number four on my top five magical creatures list for Half-Blood Prince.
1: Nice, man. Good stuff. Yeah, Great Minds Think Alike. They came in at number three (laughs) for me, actually. And that was for the big white dog. We actually had a a little section of the interesting facts for, like, the first one of Half-Blood Prince for that. Just where they mentioned, like, Scrimmage, was it... Scrimageore was taking his like son there or something hunting with them is what it was. Like they were hunting for Nogtails is the way it was mentioned in the book. But yeah, that's yeah. the like demon pig swine is the way I like looked at him. But the fact that they have those big white dogs to like fend them off is just awesome. So yeah, same thing, that's funny. Great minds think alike. I put him as number three for my magical creatures.
0: For sure. And for you, my man? number three. Yeah, my number three, kind of what you started with your whole list out with. I put the Palomino Braxton-Winged Horses as my number three, uh, simply because like they reminded me very much like what you said, Pegasus, but like they're giant, like the size of elephants flying these dang carriages. You know, it's uh, <laughs> It must have been a sight to see those things just kind of being around and a whole host of them carrying... The, the all of the, the mm. carriage of the whole not the whole school but the delegation of bow battens when they came from the fire but they made that reappe- appearance here when madame maxime came to pay respects to dumbledore so uh, i like them they're large giant elephant sized horses with wings like what's not to like about giant flying horses yeah. that's dope <laughs> awesome so <laughs> that's my number three <laughs> so let's uh jump into your number two man
1: yeah man number two uh and I guess this is kind of like the Snargalov pods. Like, I guess they slide in here because technically they're not like creatures. But, uh, you know, I had that whole section on the caveman. So I put uh, the Necromanced in Fury. They're like the corpses that are puppets, you know, commanded by the Dark Lord that, uh, you know, they can't stand fire. So they... Um, fire is what destroys them and they back away from heat and light um, I just thought it was so cool like the whole idea they, that uh, JK Rowling brought in this whole necromancing idea here um, and it's they're, they're basically like puppeted like they don't even have spirits or souls or anything and, and Albus Dumbledore was able to kick their ass but it reminded me of, like, uh, The Walking Dead, <laughs> like, in a cave with wizards. So, yeah, Walking Dead, take notes. That's what it should have been. <laughs> That's the way you do it. Uh, and Fury are coming in at number two on my list. What about you?
0: Number two for me, uh, the vampire, because we finally got to see what a vampire is like. We, we've heard about them from as early as Sorcerer's Stone. remember I had, like, Professor Quirrell talking about how he, he, like, mm-hmm. he was out there, saw, like, hags and vampires when he was kind of cruising around uh, Albania. But, anyways, vampires came in number two for me solely for the fact that, like, it was very boring for how it was introduced. Like, he was there, and he, like, got a hungry look in his eye like when he saw some of, like, the younger girls over to the side. Like, he was going to maybe attack them, and then the guy who wrote the book gave him a cookie instead or some sort of pastry to satisfy his <laughs> hunger. So, like, like, I feel like there was better a better introduction to the vampires they may have moved up on my list but seems how basically it was just like this guy's a vampire yay like that's pretty much it we didn't, we didn't really get anything cool yeah. from it so that's why it came in at number two on my list but yeah uh, my number two is vampire
1: yeah man great minds think alike you know i'm a twilight guy so i ranked vampires as number one baby <laughs> Sanguini, have a pasty And uh, we had interesting facts on this. Sanguini actually means to taste blood. So that's how he got his name. But that's all it's known about him. Like, I was really hoping same thing. Like, we would find out a little bit more. But I think you're right. Like, J.K. Rowling was really just trying to take this another way. But I feel like you brought up werewolves so much, you got to bring up vampires at some point, right? Uh, Like, voyages with the vampires. We got a little glimpse of that in book five. But... Uh, I thought it was cool. He was kinda reminding me of like one of those goth people. Like I thought he was gonna have a hemorrhage or a Caesar when those hot chicks walked by. He was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, man, I'm trying to uh all your requests out there, I see all those for Twilight, add it to twenty twenty nine. I'm trying to convince Jay Nelly. <laughs> I'm, uh, I uh, actually still have the uh, Midnight Sun on my uh, cabinet. Never cracked it, but man, that cover looks awesome. But yeah, I am a Robert. What's his name? Robert Patterson. Pattinson. There's no Batman. R.
0: Yeah, there's no R. It's Pattinson. Robert Pattinson.
1: Robert Pattinson. Yeah, see, I'm the worst of the name. Y'all, y'all know that already. But Robert Pattinson, man. He, Cedric Diggory, my boy, man. Bringing it back full circle. He's a he's a beast. He's the ultimate vampire. Besides Blade, he's pretty damn badass. So I figured like Sanguini probably like was chilling with that guy at some point. You know after he died over in uh, you know after the poor key and Voldemort killed him, he was living some second life as Edward Cullen. So Sanguini and him are probably hanging out on the side. So for that you know I ranked vampires number one man. What about you? Yeah,
0: I, uh, I chose to go uh, my number one for the Inferi simply because, like, they were so dangerous and pretty much got very close to ruining the whole story for the good guys. You know, if Dumbledore didn't ha- muster up every last ounce of his energy to throw that fire blaze thing that you were talking the firestorm spell you were talking about, we might not be sitting here having this conversation about like, anyone being around to take out Voldemort's Horcruxes. Like, these things, yeah. like, they're cool and... Yeah, they are enchanted. Like I call them magical creatures because without magic, they don't exist. Like So they're still magical like creatures. Yeah. Like, they literally, by definition, are a magical creature, right? So, and yeah. very similar to what it almost like... Look, if you guys remember uh, Lord of the Rings, and then the marshy swamp area, uh, like like when they were going past, like when uh, Smeagol was leading them past there. I don't want to get too much into it, because we will end up tackling that at some point on the show uh you know they reminded me a lot of like the boggy marshes and the the, the dead underneath there so it was just yeah. with that like the thought in my head on top of the fact that they came out of the lake grabbed harry and then i mean the, of course the dang movie oversold it and tried to like make him drown him underneath the thing but <laughs> yeah. anyways yeah. anyways at least in the book they still got the hold of him it was getting really dicey so uh, i put in fury number one because they were very very close to being the creatures that stop the good guys from being able to destroy the bad guys, if we get to the part where the good guys do beat the bad guys, because right now the bad guys are kicking ass so anyways, long story short Inferi number 1 on my list, so I'll go ahead and run through my list again real quick 5 through number 1 number 5 for me were Pygmy Puffs number 4, Nogtails number 3, the Palomino Abraxan Winged Horses number 2, Vampire number 1, Inferi just go ahead and give them a little list off of what your top 5 were
1: yeah, I got uh five uh the Abraxan winged palominos uh four we're uh you know, we're giving me some leeway here. Snargoloffs, <laughs> So, we're going to let that one slide. Uh three I got nogtails, two in fury and one vampires. Sanguine have a pasty.
0: Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> bang bang, man. That's awesome. So, yeah, like that, that kind of leads us into our our interesting facts section here, so uh, what I'll do is I'll I'll take this one real fast, because it's not too much. It's the Phoenix Lament, and where it's first kind of notated is on page 614. So that's where the Phoenix Lament kind of is first heard. Because remember, like, Madame Pomfrey burst into tears. Nobody paid her any attention except Ginny whispered, Shh, listen. And gulping, Madame Pomfrey pressed her fingers to her mouth. Her eyes opened somewhere out in the darkness. A phoenix was singing in a way Harry had never heard before. A stricken lament of terrible beauty. And Harry felt as he had felt about Phoenix songs before, that the music was inside of him, not without. And it was his own grief magically turned to song that echoed across the grounds in the castle windows. So that's where it kind of starts there. I did a little bit of additional research on the Phoenix Lament. And so I want to talk to you guys a little about that for my interesting fact. So, the Phoenix Lament was a form of song expressed by Phoenixes. Its tunes are known to touch the soul in positive or negative ways. Its most powerful performances are known to be present when the phoenix suffers emotional instability or distress such as the death of its master. The song was reputed to increase the courage of the pure of heart and to strike fear into the hearts of the impure. So that's the, the, the phoenix lament.
1: So with that... That I'll, is awesome. Right?
0: Man. Yeah, pretty cool. So with that, I'll turn it over to Chase and he'll tell us about that Peruvian instant darkness powder.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. By the way, that's a really cool, interesting fact, because it's so full circle, too, yeah. as far as, like, you know, hearing them for so long. Um, so, yeah, the Peruvian Instant Darkness Powder. So, not too much on it, but, of course, it's uh, a lot of people didn't know. We mentioned it slightly in the book, but it's a magical item that was imported, actually, from Fred and George that was sold at Weasley Wizards Wheezes. Um, It does create darkness, allowing the user to escape. It is resistant to light creation spells, wand lighting charms, fire making spells, except for, of course we know from the book, the hand of glory is the only known item um, that can actually find its way through it with light. It actually comes from a town in Peru called Tirapito, uh, and that is actually the home of the Tirapito Tree Skimmers, which is the famous 2016 Quidditch team that was led by J.O. Cello, uh, who is a South American Brazilian wizard that received his education from the Calso Bruxo, the Brazilian wizard school, and the Tower Tree Skimmers um they actually have a gold dragon mascot on a blue flag and they're mentioned in quidditch through the ages and they actually have been known for using that instant darkness powder uh, before in quidditch matches to try to blind their enemies and steal the snitch (laughs) without people looking so i thought that was pretty cool um, so not too much on that, but you know I'm a Quidditch guy, so I saw that one Quidditch fact about it and I was like, I gotta throw that in there just cause Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> but yeah, and uh yeah, man. Um uh, I mean this has just been it's an awesome book. Like, I mean in my opinion, I like this book so much better than when I read it when I was a kid, and I think it's because as a kid, um just understanding like you know especially when you're reading it the first time you really don't see all the different characters point of views and now just the detail that's in this and it really is like one of those action-packed books like you kind of go into it sitting here thinking like maybe this is going to be slow like maybe this will start out slower because you know we went through right before this the two biggest books (laughs) really in the series (laughs) so you're like oh man this is gonna be probably slow and nah keeps it going action-packed straight through like what's nice is in this book too like it's not a lot of fluff like it's straight to the point and everything is important uh that you have to find here but yeah i think it's fantastic and uh we'll save it for how i rank it during our rankings episode that we'll wind up doing when we close out this series but yeah with that i'll let jay nelly anything uh you want to say to close us out absolutely guys so
0: this has been the next uh section of the book that we're getting into now we finished it it's it's done like like the harry potter and half-blood yeah. prince the contents of this book are completed now we obviously have the differences episode next week but at this point in time you guys have stuck with us when we started this arc back on october with harry potter and the sorcerer's stone all the way through here with us, so you guys have stuck along. Not even just from that. Obviously, you guys have been around most majority of you since we started this show, which has meant a lot to Chase and I. But uh, we, I know that some of these episodes, with the length of them, and trying to keep pace with the ones that we're putting out, and making sure that we got so much content to bring you everything that we possibly can, it means a lot for uh, the audience to stay with us uh, this entire time. So I'm just saying this just because we're in the final stretch of season one of Factor Fantasy. After next week when we put Half-Blood Prince to bed finally with the differences episode, we're on uh, Deathly Hallows, and that'll be it. Once we close out that and kind of do our, our our episode where we rank a lot of the stuff that has to do with Harry Potter, that's season one of Factor Fantasy, guys. You know, So thank you so much for all of the tuning in and sticking with us. We, we, we've got light at the end of the tunnel. We're almost there. Uh, we got another amazing uh, series of episodes that come out that we've already... Actually, we were able to... Plan and schedule uh, which episodes and when they're going to come out regarding uh, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows to make sure it's an amazing experience for not only you guys, but for Chase and I too when we go through the uh, details and take our notes. So really excited about that. What we always say too is thank you so much uh, not only for, for following, but if you haven't already, please, as Chase had once coined the term, cast a spell on that subscribe button, like, <laughs> send uh, us emails <laughs> go ahead and follow us on wherever you get your podcast from we're on all the platforms follow our instagram page at official ridiculous Patronus. follow our personal instagram accounts at rbrow129 or jnelly 83 we got that awesome facebook fan page at chasingjoshfactorfantasy. josh factor fantasy we actually have our own website uh for our thing as well we've got some work to do on that to kind of bring it up to snuff but we've got so many different ways where you can connect and join in on what we do here as a show that uh, we're looking forward to having you guys in for the long haul as long as uh, Factor Fantasy exists in this world, which we hope is going to be a very long time. So Long and, time. <laughs> <laughs> unless Chase has anything yeah. else to add to that. If not, I'll go ahead and, and uh, close this on out today, and we'll see you next week for the Differences episode. So do you have anything you want to add to that? Or is that, is that everything that yeah. you wanted to say? <laughs>
1: Um, Shout out to our uh, host, Podbean. I think this is our eighth month being on the featured list, which is pretty much unheard of. Uh, So that's pretty awesome. Um, And just once again, guys, the ride is great. And, you know, I mean, you know, they could come out with a Harry Potter show at some point in the future. But, I mean, you know, right now, really enjoy this ride because we know, at least for like a long time, like this is it like this is the ride and we after this differences episode it's the one you've been looking forward to for almost a year ever since we started that's what people told us like you know of course game of thrones like every you know i know a lot of people love game of thrones and westworld but that was the big recommendation when we started this show is harry potter harry potter harry potter and we saved it for the end and we're gonna give it all to you and um you know, just enjoy the ride. Uh it's one hell of a Hogwarts Express that's gonna be rolling off the rails. Uh we still got the fourth quarter left, and with that I'll let Jay Nelly sign us off. You got it, brother. So we
0: will catch you guys back. Thanks again for tuning in today. But for all this is it this week, man, because you guys know this has been another ridiculous production. Chasing Josh Factor Fantasy Signing Sign off. off.